Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 397. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy, alongside Johnny V. You're not looking too sunburnt or anything, which is kind of nice. You were in Florida. You were in Texas. Now you're back here in the great, gloomy state of Wisconsin. <laughs> and, uh, and and you're not looking too much more red than you normally do. I, I do have a legitimate tan going on here. Where, uh, uh, very, that? very white on the arms, or should I say the shoulders, and uh, golden brown on the... On some other parts. Uh, <laughs> welcome, everyone. We're here. Podcast 397. And uh, tonight, well, let me just throw this out there right away, because I know of some footage that's here and there and all around. If you do not want to hear or have us discuss at great length this weekend's Throw Down the Mountain, the results of it or anything of that nature, I understand it's already Tuesday. You probably know things, but if somehow you're holding off, uh, that's fine. I encourage you to then uh, go ahead and shut things down right now, because tonight we're going to be, of course, talking about Throw Down the Mountain. That was the last place I just visited. In fact, just returned there from last night. We're also going to be uh, welcoming in some champions and some superstars of that event. So that's what I want to tell you right now. If that's something you're holding off on. If not, welcome. We're going to get into it and we're going to start with trivia. Trivia? Yeah. Uh, no, to, uh, in some ways, um, I, I call it a trivia question or just an outright statement today. Actually, a very, very significant day uh, in the disc golf community, in the disc golf world. Do you have any idea why, Johnny? April 5th. Hmm. Is this... Ken Clamo's birthday. Ooh, good guess. That was a couple days ago. 
Okay, I knew it was around late, here. Late March, yeah, shortly after your birthday. Yes. But uh, no, Ken he has Climo. A, he has a son who shares a birthday with me, actually, as well. Yes, um, yes. Uh, so April 5th. I want to say his is the 28th, if I'm just making up numbers. Is this Steady Ed's birthday? No, not. Uh, let me rephrase that. I'm not positive. I do not believe that it is Steady Ed's. <laughs> I do not know that for a fact it's not. Uh, okay. But um, that is not uh, certainly my reference point. Then no, I'm I'm lost, Terry. I, I do not know. I, I'd be curious to know if anyone out on our board, especially some of our diehard hardcore smashies, have any idea. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. Episode 397 that we're hosting tonight here on the 5th of April, 2022, marks eight years to the day that Smashbox TV was first live. Mm. Not... Our podcast that was in November of that year. Correct. Our very first ever live broadcast. This is the anniversary of Silmar. This is the anniversary of the Silmar Open, a PDGA C tier in which we attempted to cover three rounds because what C tiers aren't three rounds in one day. So right there, that should have been a clue that we were setting ourselves up for a challenge and a little bit of a failure. But Today, this very day marks exactly eight years. And in fact, if we rewind eight years to this minute, I believe I was sitting at a restaurant with Steve and Bamba Rico and the rest of the family as I was out in California. And after the long day had concluded and our champions were crowned and all that other stuff, we went out and uh, celebrated uh, the event mainly, but also the fact that uh, our first day of ever live broadcasting in the sport of disc golf was in the books. And if I remember correctly, we got an ace on video. We did. And for a million bonus points, does anybody remember whom? I think we literally just had this question like three weeks ago, four weeks ago. <laughs> the question is who's paying attention. <laughs> you're, you're not, you're, <laughs> so there's, you're not wrong. That may you're not matter. You're not yeah. wrong. Um, did our cameraman was AJ Risley. Is that correct? He was the primary cameraman, yep. And were we able to actually finish the round, or did we run out of batteries on that no, round? No, there was... <laughs> and there was cell signal issues at Silmar the, in general. The, cell, the cellular signal was absolutely the number one challenge. We had a backpack that was rented for a one-month period, and the cell signal at that particular course was... Maybe it still is to this day. I don't know. It was abysmal. It was terrible. And so... Uh, certainly not with the technology that we're afforded today. Um, it, it, yeah, the, the, it definitely sucked in various parts of that course more than another. And at one point, I know we were kind of standing down, or I don't know if it was in the middle of maybe round two that we actually said, hey, we're going to close things down for a little while. We're going to shut the stream down for now <laughs> so that we can recharge some batteries so that we could give you the ending, the conclusion That's of the right. tournament. Because I remember running back and forth into the pro shop to charge this battery. And at the time, we didn't know any better. So I think we had like one or one, maybe two additional batteries when we really needed probably five or six, but we had no idea of that. <laughs> um, it was a little bit of a cluster of a, of a maddening day in so many ways, but yet it, you can't Ex say it enough. Exciting. Everything that we learned and the excitement that came with it all on this day, eight years ago. Yeah, that was, wow. I just think back to what we, how we were doing it back then with a rented backpack that, you know, legacy helped 
uh, fund, a completely different software. I was doing it on a Mac. Um, One camera with you tethered to it, doing commentary. What a difference. What a change. Let's go back to those. I was was just reminiscing with somebody, uh, kind of, if you can call it that. Someone made a post on Reddit about, uh, because lately Drew Gibson's been on Twitter. They've been talking about athleticism. And there's a there's a, a a real short blip that we put into our Mad City coverage a little bit later um, that mm. that year, I believe it was maybe maybe it was the next year we did Mad City anyway. Um, and it was Drew Gibson saying something like, uh, hey, you're watching Smashbox TV as we did a bunch of those. And then he runs and jumps over a basket and it looks like he's going to do like a full two legged jump, mm-hmm. but he ends up just kind of doing a little splits over it. So he makes it over the basket and everyone kind of chuckles. And I was saying, man, back in those, day, those days, we could literally do whatever we wanted. We, we could. We could put whatever we wanted in the broadcast. No one could stop us. The freedom that we had was uh, was kind of fun. I love the professionalism that we have now. The product is better. It's really exciting. But there was something fun about just doing that back in the day. And we'll probably talk a little bit later about some of that fun that we had Um like when I put a clock on Nico at one point, <laughs> yeah. but we can talk about that and Nico later. Yeah. So of course, from the bottom of our hearts, just thank you to everybody, a- everybody that has logged in and in any way, uh, stayed up to date, not just with us at Smashbox, and obviously the evolution that has continued over to the disc golf pro tour and that, forever will be only possible and and all gratitude and thanks go to steve dodge because steve dodge was again one of those few tournament directors that not only saw value but saw something else that said hey we're we're ready to invest in this yeah we we trust (laughs) these two clowns and uh just the faith and the and the dedication and everything else that people ultimately put into us and and dynamic disc is right there on top oh, of that yes. list along with legacy um all all some of our our strongest supporters throughout those years when we were just getting things started and so much of that first month was truly just and it's funny because they'll continue to fall on these fun dates but going to events and saying hey we're gonna you know can we we're at the bowling green ams can we cover the back you know the final nine hey, can, can we have jamie thomas as a cameraman yeah, and, jamie thomas and, and simon lazat sitting there doing commentary and avery jenkins helping out you know just exactly. some of those guys yeah those guys but where so. are they now <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> clearly clearly uh they've only been on a downslide since since leaving uh the the work they were doing with us no but in all seriousness uh thank you uh so many of you guys and of course the podcast then started a few months later and now that we're nearing 400 episodes of those that's a whole nother story but uh so forever april 5th in my opinion certainly a a day for me to always remember as part of my own little disc golf history along with johnny and the people that helped make that possible legacy discs namely the people that made that possible um as they they footed the bill for us to have that very first ever broadcast unit. And we just kind of got things started from there. So pretty, pretty crazy and uh, a pretty exciting day nonetheless. So congrats. Max Nichols was the one that took that event down and hopefully we're going to see him out playing more golf here soon. According to his socials, I think that's exactly what we're going to promises, see. So. Promises. I know. I mean, kids, family, all that stuff. Jeez. It's like these, these little kids are all growing up. Right. And we're just getting older. That's exactly true. 
So uh, with all of that out of the way, uh, just thank you. Thank you guys so much. I believe now, uh, last week we had a very uh, fun podcast where I was able to give you a little insight coming in from the shop over there at Sun King Disc, thanks to Mike Barnett and Throw Down the Mountain. Now this week, well, I guess if you're going to have a preview week, you got to have a recap week. And when we do that, we bring in our FPO champion somehow. She, it's only her first time, which I still don't believe. Ellen Widboom. Ellen. Hi. Seriously, like, congrats. Welcome. But when you told me that, I, I, I'm still in shock. That was really your first time winning Throwdown? Yes. First time, first time winning my fifth time playing. I started it in 2017 and yeah, I had a string of, I looked it up the other day. It was like, I think I got third place and then second and then I tied for second and then I may have gotten second again uh, last Yeah, I got second last year to Sarah Hokum came and crushed us all. And then, yeah, this was, this was the year, my first throwdown title. So you can understand how I was a little miffed by that, <laughs> thinking like, how are you not, how have you not won this before? You've been right there in contention for it. And again, apologies to everyone that haven't yet seen the coverage. Now, um, you'll just have to figure out how she went about uh, taking down this victory in the next couple of days. But how does it feel to win almost literally in your backyard? I mean, you are... A, about as close to the course as possible without being at Maple Hill and being Steve Dodge. You're as close to the course as possible, right? That That's accurate. I live, it's, it's, I think it's just about two miles down a road, main road, and then another side road. It was actually close to where the spectators were parking this year because of all the flooding. But yeah, childhood home right down the road. I've actually walked to the course before with my bag. I mean, it was a little <laughs> sketchy. I wouldn't recommend it because the main road's... <laughs> There's no side to walk on, but I have mm-hmm. done it before. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's it's my home course, but not really because it's only here once a year. Yeah, and and let's let's dig into that just a little bit, uh, you know. And I know home course is a, a phrase you you can almost throw around, but the course is really in the ground about a month. This year was the longest it's ever been in the ground. I think upwards of almost six total weeks when it was said and done, somewhere between five and six weeks. But it's not like you're over on this property hanging out, playing practice rounds any other time out of the year, right? I wish. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I def- but I did come into town for that purpose specifically. I really wanted if anything to play better than I have years past so I skipped Texas States came directly home after uh, the other Texas tournament and yeah I was out there I probably played the course eight to nine times in the span of like a week and a half and now you're used to pro tour level courses and championship caliber courses explain how this relates or compares to any of the other courses that you see out on tour? Well, the start of the tour, I know that Waco was my favorite course because it had the mix of the open and the wooded. With Throwdown, you kind of have both, but I would say it leans more towards being mostly wooded. It does have some shots where you can air out. Um, I think it is it is close to that caliber, other than the fact that it is only used once a year, so there are issues with it. Sometimes with maintenance or there's cows on it in the 11 months out of the year. So you're going to contend 
with some fun little stances out on the course if you're not careful. Uh, and I think maybe that's the only downside I can think about is that it's just not walked 12 months out of the year. The whole year. So it does still have a couple little hiccups in it, but I think it should be on the tour 100%. Yeah, and I, The guys do an amazing job of prepping it for the tournament. They certainly do, and and that's the Sun King crew, and then and then my primary host in in uh, Dwayne Reeder, and I know him and a whole slew of other people. I don't know everyone's name, but I know Dwayne helps lead that charge and is is a uh, integral part of that operation. And like you said, it essentially grows very naturally for ten and a half, eleven months out of the year, and then every year it's almost a little bit of a reset process to go back out and be like, okay, let's get this groomed up so that it's playable uh, right. and and ready to go. Um, yeah, I think the only one downside, which unfortunately, as long as it's private property and owned and and used, you know, shared with cows, I think the only downside that that comes about year after year is just that because of all those reasons, that's why we're not seeing concrete or uh, a more permanent tee pad uh, on Correct. all of the holes. And so very understandable, but if somebody had a knock, unfortunately that would probably be the only one, which is really out of our hands. Correct. Yeah. And it, it just wouldn't make sense to put them in out there with the cows. A lot of times I would imagine using them as sleeping pads. <laughs> so, <laughs> probably yes. wouldn't be in the best shape after 11 months. Yeah, certainly some uh, interesting visuals for out there. Uh, so, again, some of this is new to everybody, and if and, and if you're not up to date with how the weekend went down uh, and you, and you want to watch it, then you may want to step aside, but we're here for the details. So Friday was a really nice day. Tell us about what it was like Friday night and then leading into Saturday, because I feel like a lot of, of the world doesn't know some of these details and how the weekend and how the event kind of flew under the radar a little bit with Music City happening. Tell us what happened Friday night leading into Saturday. Well, so I guess I want to go back to Thursday night. Okay. Was it Thursday night when we got all the rain? And it yes. was, it was yes. like, um, I've, I've lived in Florida. I'm from Florida. I've lived here. It rained so hard that, I mean, you couldn't hear yourself think at points. It sounded like the raindrops were the size of bowling balls. It was loud, it was long, and it was for, it was basically like for hours and hours and hours and all through the night. So, I mean, we knew there was going to be some flooding issues because there are some low-lying spots and it's like clay is the base of it. Mm -hmm. So it's really not, doesn't have anywhere to go that fast. So when we got to the course, they had already switched up two of what I would think are the signature holes, or at least very unique to the course, where you have to throw up over a cliff on hole 13. It's mm -hmm. a small cliff. It's I mean, it's compared to hole 18's cliff. And both of those holes changed because the tee pad for 13 was underwater. By feet, you like feet of water, right? <laughs> like feet, like there was a little pond that was off to like the front of it that maybe, you know, you didn't want to like shank it right. You could, it was eerie. It was like the walking path went back there halfway and then it was just a lake. <laughs> yeah. So they moved it up to the top, made it, I think they made it a par four, which is mm -hmm. a great change. I think it still brought the Mando into play. And then hole 18, um, we, the, the thing where you, yeah, I mean, we all remember, I think, Simon Lazat teeing from the top and going for it around the corner, making the top. We didn't get the chance to play from up top. 
it was a lake at the bottom with essentially no landing zone, no fair landing zone, and no way to really mark OB because the water just overran the fairway. <laughs> so they put made it a par three. We played to the shorter basket, and it, it just it changed the dynamic. It kind of changed the mood of the card a little bit. And so going into – we heard rumors on Friday when we finished our round that, okay, maybe they're going to – Post, like cancel or maybe they'll just let a few groups play or maybe we'll just keep an eye on the weather and he made an announcement that by a certain time friday night they were going to make a, an executive decision based on the weather and a couple weekends prior they had to cancel one round of a two-round tournament for the ams because there were forecasted like torrential downpours and tornadoes which I mean, that scares any tournament director, let alone like the day it happens, you're freaking out, but the day before, and then you have to make a decision and just not hope that the weather stays the same so that you're validated, but that you've made the best decision based on all the facts that you can only get, like, because nobody can predict the future. So they had to make a decision and they canceled the second round, which made it a two day A tier for us to finish on Sunday. And I mean, they they did the right thing because Saturday at like one o'clock, the bottom let out and it was just <laughs> a, another downpour for hours and just the rest of the evening. And it was lightning and thunder. So and we can't play with lightning anyway. And if you played in Florida, you know, if it rains, it's probably going to lightning and thunder. So, it, yeah, it's it's not like some of the ones up in Seattle and like other states where you'll just get gloomy and rain and you can play in that. It There will be lightning. So unfortunately it got canceled, which made it an even weirder experience. And I think it being the 10th anniversary of the tournament, I wouldn't say it was apropos for it, but it just kind of made it that much more unique, (laughs) not necessarily in the positive way, but I know some of my friends and I went out to the quarry. We saw a bunch of other people out at the quarry in Brooksville, which is another one of Mike Barnett's courses, which is awesome. It's 20 holes. Go check it out. Uh, It's there was like, I'd say there's 20 to 30 people there on Saturday morning because it was actually nice. The rain hadn't hit, and we all got to some practice out there. We played 15, 18 holes. It was we had a good we had a good Saturday despite the fact that we didn't get to play the canyon. Yeah, and, I, and I'll, I'll tack onto that. It was a little odd because you know the forecast was calling for whether it was noon or one or one thirty or two o'clock, but knowing that this course and the day you, when you guys played it the day before. It was more than a four hour, I think it was four and a half, nearly a five hour round. So even had you started at 9 a.m. or 9.20, you were going to likely carry into that time frame where the weather was supposed to hit, which it coincidentally was pretty much right on time. And so then you're dealing with, uh, well, we've played 13 holes or we've played 15 holes. And then are we going to finish those three holes on Sunday morning and then play another 18 on Sunday yet and try and fit all those in. And you're talking about daylight. You're talking about just amount of people on the course. And then maybe even worse than all of that, you're talking about these potentially really dangerous or unfun conditions, not just unfun, but legitimately dangerous. I mean, yes, it's not like a, you know, it's not a Colorado, you know, Rocky mountain, so to speak, (laughs) but you're still talking about this clay and you, we had enough of a difficult time walking around on Friday just to try and not slip and slide from rain that had come the night before. I can't imagine being on that course in a downpour walking down half of those hills. Like, there was going to no, be legitimate I mean, they, injuries. 
they say the cows do it, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm big, but I don't. I don't and they yeah. have the, what do they call those? The, the, oh, the somebody used the term the other day, the hooves, but they're, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, the, we made jokes like we're not cows, but the cows do it. But yeah, no, it was borderline dangerous. I know that last year, Jessica Oleski, she slipped and like hurt herself and had the DNF. And so she had trauma from that and was like, I totally understandable. Like you could barely keep your footing when it was dry out there and not raining. So yeah, it was slightly dangerous, um, but nothing really out of control. And they made the right changes to make sure that nobody was like teeing off from close to water, like any danger. So. Yeah. I, I, and I understand I've, of course I've been a TD myself and Nobody likes to call. There's there's no benefit to calling off golf from happening. And, you know, from a TD perspective, for instance, and there's there's nothing to gain by that. And you're exactly right. It's a tough call because then immediately it, it's just like when you get mad at a meteorologist who's wrong. And then it's like, well, we're relying on them and what their forecast says. But we're ultimately as a TD, your number one job is to keep the player safe. And so I feel like if you're on a perfectly flat course you know, that drains well, sure, maybe you can roll the dice a little longer or harder, but not on a facility like that. Private property with rocks and hills and mud and everything else. I I, I know some people second-guess Mike's decision, and I guess that's just part of being a TD. You get second-guess for everything you do, but I, yeah. I fully support the, the way in which he went about it. Again, it creates so much awkwardness about that final round if something gets cut off midday or mid-round anyway, right? I mean, they said 1 o'clock. What happens if it really would have hit at 10 o'clock a.m.? That would have just, like, thrown the that partial round even to more into a tailspin. Yep. So, at any rate, so that was Thursday, th- Thursday night rain. We dealt with it Friday. Friday was good. Friday night, it was then announced that there would be no golf on Saturday and that your second and therefore final round would just take place on Sunday. Obviously, it feels weird, but coming out Sunday, were you refreshed, ready to go? Any any new thoughts or beginnings for Sunday morning's round? Uh, I was more when I heard that it was canceled. I was bummed because I didn't get one more round at the canyon until next year. That was like my only thought because I think playing so many times as on casual rounds and hanging out at the course and helping out here and there, like. It just felt like another kind of slightly casual round to me with the little bit of like the added pressure of, oh man, like I'd really like to win this, but I'd also just like to play better than I have on Friday. And then in years (laughs) past, like I'm always about not necessarily just like, oh my gosh, like I got to win because that hasn't helped me in the past, obviously at this course. (laughs) So I was like, I just want to shoot better than I have and not slip and mind my steps. And so just, Either you know, play hole one, get off the tee, okay. That's kind of like my goal. I've started tournaments with bogeys. I've lost track of how many times. So it's like just play hole one smart, get the nerves out, and then just play the course like you've played it a lot before. Have fun because this is your last time playing until next year, uh, and enjoy the card. And then whatever happens, happens at the end. Well, you shot the same score as first and second round. Did it feel yeah, the same? So I'm really not I'm mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how did those rounds feel? I mean, you, you know, you can talk about ultimately where you finish and all that other stuff, but to you personally, how did those rounds feel? They felt 
great. I I had I had great card mates to start out with. Like Friday just felt so light and everybody was just happy to be there and out playing in Florida and it was it was Lisa's first time. I mean, she'd got a couple practice rounds in, but it was her first tournament round at this course. And that always like makes me happy because this person <laughs> is like getting to play at this course and they're just going to, their mind's going to be blown because it, it is such a Mecca and it's so it's hard to describe out there. Um, but yeah, the feeling was, I, yeah, I really don't have any other words for it. <laughs> no, I, it is a very special place in a lot of people's hearts. And that's what I've picked up. I've been there now eight times in the last uh, nine years. The, the only goofy year was really, um, they had the AM weekends and then COVID hit. And I was going to go from Texas, not Texas, State, sorry, Waco in 2020. The very next weekend was the pro weekend of Throw It on the Mountain, which I was slated to go, to go cover. So the event has happened on paper 10 times. Nine times have they had, you know, all the divisions. And so this is my eighth time there. And man, everybody loves it. Like yeah. everybody. I it yeah, and it I try to get tell people about it and show them the videos and you know, my because I do live right down the road sometimes I'll just kind of throw it out there and be like and before, especially before COVID, it was like, you could stay at my house. Like we've had some of the top pros staying at our house and it, you know, and my dad loves the sport and my mom's supportive. And it's just like, they get to, Simon Lazat came to my house one time just <laughs> because he was hanging out with some other people. And we're just like, Simon Lazat's in the house. Like, this is amazing. You know, it's just, you get all these top pros coming to town that showcase this course. And Paul Macbeth, I think has said that it's, one of his top favorite courses. And he just, I mean, I just watched your, the first round just dropped by the way, for everybody that's interested, Terry posted the first round of the MPO coverage and he just looks so comfortable and at home and he, he's got a smile on his face, like half the round, which if you've watched Paul play, like he's usually just like, like serious mode. And he just looked like he belonged there. So it, it does something to people when they show up and because it's so unique. Yeah. It, it is a special experience. I feel like that's one of the biggest takeaways week in and week out year after year. And that's part of the reason. And we talked to Mike a little bit about it last week uh, when I was in his shop and we were doing the podcast from there. That's why he's had to expand it to four separate weekends. Uh, and I don't think there's an event that that has gotten to that point. And now you could say, well, you know, Emporia can host a thousand or eighteen hundred people in one week because they have the capacity. But this event truly is is maxed out. And so having to expand it to four separate weekends is just incredible. And I think that speaks volumes again about how much people love and enjoy being there. And him as a TD. Yeah, certainly. I mean yeah. uh and it's and it's Brooksville. Like we're not Emporia. We're not like a mecca for disc golf. It's Brooksville. There's some really neat stuff to do here in town. It's not a big town, mm -hmm. but it draws these people in, and it's just like I don't know. It kind of boosts. You know how you think of Emporia and it boosts the economy. Like for Brooksville, you get a lot of local people, but when you get the people from out of town and coming in from states and different things like that, man, it just kind of it puts us on the map, and it, it really is a great town. And yeah, Mike does an amazing job with all the people that he has. And for, I mean, for anybody that doesn't know, again, I'll reiterate, this course is not taken care of for 11 months out of the year, maybe like 10. 
the guys that work out there, the and I could name them all. I mean, I wouldn't be able to name them all. They put in so much work out there at least a month, I would say, before this tournament even. And it's daily. They're always out there. You have to think of everything that happens over a year, all the trees that fall, branches, the cows that are out there. They have to get them and put them somewhere else. All the cows that have left little gifts behind in 11 <laughs> months on the ground, they have to clean that off and shovel it and put it somewhere. And they made benches this time out of mm -hmm. the wood that they cut. They put in two sets of wooden stairs on the more dangerous slopes of the walkways. They make the sign in the field on hole 11 every year out of wood that says throw down the mountain. And, and this year was a giant X made out of trees. They haul that from different places on the course. It is so much work put into this course and I hope everybody like truly like, I hope they get the chance to experience it because um, yeah, I thank you to all the guys that do that. I, it's really, hopefully one of these years I'll finally be able to be in town long enough to actually help out with that stuff because it's kind of neat. My dad helped for a couple years uh, while I was playing and he did a lot of work out there. It's and mowing, Anyway, I could I could go on and on, but thank you <laughs> no, guys. They've done it, it is all, all the accolades are a hundred percent warranted and and should be out there. And then uh, I know you said you weren't able to help with some of that prep work, but you were out there uh, doing some volunteering of your own. Explain uh, how you were involved a week a week or two before. So I love spotting on hole eighteen. Like it is <laughs> so much fun to see. Like the shots that come down to throw up the green flag when they've made it because it doesn't matter. There's two tee pads for 18. One is the pro layout and the other one, most of the amateurs get to play. And it's off to, if you're looking at the tee pad, 18's right in front of you. And the other one's like a tiny keyhole off to the right. And they usually play to the longer hole on the short setting. So both tee pads are basically playing blind if you don't throw it straight. Mm-hmm. And to throw up the green flag is just this, you can hear them. You can hear people, if people talk at like this normal candor, you can still hear them from down in the valley. Mm -hmm. And I heard one guy one time I was down there and they were doing practice and he's like, oh, I bet she can hear us. And he was like, he just, he was like, hey, and I'm like, hey, because you can hear everything that they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so it's so much fun to be down there and to help and then help people find their discs and then to like see them make it up on the cliff. And uh, yeah, it's so you, br I may, you make a day of it. You bring your, I brought my lunchbox and a chair and drinks. Like it is, it's an experience. So yeah, I, I love helping out because I know what it's like when somebody gives me the green flag or the red <laughs> flag. So I, I like to give as much enthusiasm to it as people would give me for like, a, a really good shot. So as a yeah. side note to that, I'll ask when you do have to put up a red flag, is it, is it kind of, Subtle and oh, gingerly, man. like, uh, sorry, here's your red flag. Or are it you is. like, yeah, you're way out. You're definitely oh, out of bounds. No, because I've had spotters do that to me before. Uh -huh. and there's, you, you, uh, yeah, I've had spotters do that to me before. So it's more or less, <laughs> I got in a habit of raising the flag and hanging my head. Okay, so yeah. Like, just, oh, man, I don't want to do it. So they knew I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I guess buried in here is a little pro tip, and and I I've kind of said this to cameramen uh, that I've worked with. 
Um, don't be overly anxious or loud or excited to let someone know they're out of bounds. Like you might be, you might be being very helpful, but I have learned to temper that in that. And of course I'm not excited to, to say, Oh, you're out of bounds. You're getting a stroke, but even just in your tone, be like, yeah, sorry, man, that's out of bounds or, you know, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. That's OB. You see, sometimes, you know, our enthusiastic spotters want to like, just, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, flag you uh, down yeah. with that red flag. And it's like, yeah, a, like a, a subtle brain, version would work. Like, Got to give it my all. It's like, no, we can see the red from where we're at. Just give it a little half mask. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have to give it your all. Just give it the bare minimum it's if it's red. Just a yeah, little, just a little yeah. like, but for the I'm green, sorry. Full gusto. Go yeah. The oh, green. yeah. You Jumping jacks. Like, Dance with it. Anything you want when that land an airplane. Like, I was doing it. Yeah, I was doing it so hard that the green flag. It was on just like a piece of little PVC pipe. May have been wood. It started to come off of the pole because I'd whip it up so hard. It the glue or whatever was on it just started to like come off. So I had, every time I had to like pull it back down on the post, I was like, "All right, I'm doing it right." If you're not breaking the green flag, you're not enthusiastic enough. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway. Right? Yeah, you don't really love your spotting job if the flag's not being ripped off the pole. Um, yep. But yes, that that would be my my one subtle tip or or a tip that you could react to subtly is here's your here's your red yes. flag. Uh, so you're out there uh, spotting, taking in the action, and uh, this year um, we've seen. Well, like you just said, you're in Texas. You come back for this, and now the world's going to see you back on. The regular tour or a semi-regular tour because we've seen you kind of dabble and jump here and there and you don't necessarily always follow the biggest events you go to where your heart and your you know your personal desires take you to events so what's kind of your game plan this year this year i yes i am focusing more on the pro tour events and especially because they streamlined it to where you could play pro tours and they had a a bunch of like silver series because mm-hmm. they took over the national tour. So it almost still feels like every weekend I'm playing, I'm, I'm missing a few, but yes, I'm going to Tallahassee this upcoming weekend. I'm still at home right now, but uh, the weather's bad in Tallahassee. So I'm just kind of taking my time and, and then I'm going to play champions cup in Georgia. And then it's Jonesboro and on out from there. I'm still going to get to see family and friends this year on the tour. And I'm really excited about that, but yes, I am. For this year, focusing more, focusing primarily on the Pro Tour with a handful of A tiers spattered in there, um, but and a couple weekends off actually, which is very tough for me to do. And <laughs> it seems like I'm doing something wrong when I take a weekend off, but I <laughs> I'm realizing the limitations of my body mentally and physically, and I think it's the smart way to go. And it's just I think it's going to help in the long run. And last year was the year to do the every weekend kind of thing. So I'm, I'm definitely playing a little smarter this year in more ways than one. (laughs) I I see one weekend off like the June 17th weekend and then maybe July 15th (laughs) Two, I I count two weekends off between now and the middle of August. You are getting so lazy this year. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. I didn't play for like the first, I played one event in Florida at the beginning and then I didn't play again until Vegas and it felt weird, but I got to spend time with family and friends and prep and practice. So I, it's, it's different, but 
it's it's a nice it's a nice change at least for a year we'll try it <laughs> all right yeah, we'll we'll see. You're going to have to reassess. You're, you're she clearly... might find a seat here. Can't, I mean, we're not we're not going to count anything out. I do like those flex stars. Oh, <laughs> there should be an Ellen flex start tour where you're just running and then you play and then you run a flex start wherever you go. I mean, those might be coming. I gotta. I can maybe do that next year. Yeah, I'm gonna get yeah. on that. I like that idea. Uh, I know it's probably a big ask, but. Is there a section of the country, uh, uh, a time within the tour that you particularly either look forward to or you're ready to reattack or, you know, that's, you know, got the extra big circle or bold circle on the calendar? Is there anything that jumps out at you when, when you're looking at your tour season? Yes. Beaver State Fling. I haven't okay. been there, I want to say, since maybe 2018. Uh, it, and then it got canceled and then the course went on yeah got yeah mm -hmm. so it's been years since i've been there and i never have really played solid golf out there and my game has changed a lot over like four years so i and i love oregon i'm i'm gonna camp when i get out there my sister lives in washington or yeah she lives in seattle right now so she's gonna come down and caddy and we're gonna hang out and camp together so i'm super excited about oregon and then um Wisconsin, Michigan area. I, they say, I, I know I say that Wisconsin is basically a Florida that, that where it snows because it is, and has, I guess it has like more Hills, but I love Wisconsin. I love the area. I love the people. I mean, I know you guys are biased, no, <laughs> maybe a little I, bit, I, I, but it is my favorite time of year to go up there in the summer when it's just gorgeous. So, and then I'd like to think that I'm going to make the cut for Vermont and GMC, like GMC here, but we'll see. I'd love to go up there again, but right now I'm really looking forward to those two spots specifically. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. We love, we love the idea of people loving uh, coming to the Midwest, especially <laughs> Wisconsin. I mean, I, I know fair or not. I always, uh, I, I don't get mad at anyone at anyone when they kind of get either confused or lump in like a Minnesota, a Wisconsin and a Michigan. Mm -hmm. We, we have very similar disc golf scenes. Uh, I feel like yeah. all, all of the scenes are very solid. All three of them have over 400 courses per state and then some and uh, similar topography, similar climate, all of that stuff is relatively similar in those three states. And so when the swing is anywhere there, whether it's D glow or, or the U S women's this year or the preserve or, or um, the Minnesota majestic, all of those events, uh, you know, we just, of course we love it when people are here and taking in what the Midwest up here has to offer. So that's exciting to have you. Um, is there anything? Uh, well, I, I guess I'm going to backtrack. Earlier, you were talking about uh, traveling, being a little bit smarter with what you're doing. Saw you pack up everything. You, you laid it all out on a floor. I think you had you probably had tape yep. out and and uh, I did. I had tape. <laughs> you're so you're so diligent and organized. Uh, what what does touring look like for you right now? And what really has led you to I'll say the methodology in what you're touring. What, what does that look like and what's led you to those decisions and how you're doing it? Yeah. So I had a, I did the van life in 2018 when I separated from the military, I was like, everybody's doing the van life. So I bought mm -hmm. a van, did the van for a year. It was great. 
but I kind of felt myself kind of closed off. I would just hole up in the van for lack of a better term. And, and it was expensive. It was an old van mm-hmm. and it had repairs. So I was like, oh, I could, let me try the car life. And I really enjoy Airbnbs. Like I love the hunt for a good <laughs> place to stay. Like it is like a passion of mine. So mm. for, for me, it's packing. I'm going to add a few more things because I'm home now. Uh, I tried it out with just a handful of things because I knew I was going to be back in a month. So I'm adding a few more things to the car and I got a bigger uh, topper on the roof. Um, But I'm really trying to stay as minimal as possible. I realized last year that I still had too much stuff after three years of living out of my car. I still have too much stuff. Like day to day, I don't need that. I don't really need a lot of like material things when it, when it really boils down. So, and anything that you don't have on the road, you could buy or ask or borrow for in a pinch. So really trying to just minimize, get better gas mileage. Cause we all know the gas prices are crazy right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, car life has been great. I love it. It, it is daunting sometimes to drive the long distances by myself, but I, I listen to podcasts and music and I, call friends and family and yeah i and i'm camping hopefully in georgia uh that's another thing like i'll like i take a lot of camping gear with me and i like to cook out when i'm out camping or fire i bought a hot plate all these little things that i've like added over the years that i get really excited about so when it when i go to a location and there may not be an airbnb i'm like all right well i can rough it for a week like let me camp save some money and then Airbnb at the next week. And then, yeah, so it kind of breaks even on that. So I have to follow up with <laughs> what makes for a great Air, Airbnb? What are you, what have you experienced uh, that you love about, you know, a good one? And then what specifically are you hunting for that you may or may not then get? But what are you hunting for the, to, to enhance that experience, that Airbnb experience? Okay, so when you said that, the first thing that comes to mind, and this may sound silly, is shelves. Like, I love shelves. I love, because I don't have a, I don't have a, I know, that sounds weird. Well, you I don't said you don't have a lot of stuff room. either. I know, and that's the crazy thing, but it's like, I love when it's so convenient to just like, oh, like, look over and there's like a place to put like a cup or like the snack <laughs> that you're eating or your phone. I say to the Airbnb actually in wisconsin for silver cup uh-huh. there were shelves everywhere i couldn't believe how many shelves there were so <laughs> i don't look for that in, in the airbnbs necessarily but it is nice when they have it uh you gotta make sure that the bed has good reviews because there are always read the reviews when booking an airbnb and never book an airbnb that has less than four point i'm gonna say 4.5 stars on their reviews because i've stayed in some dumps like i've stayed in some really bad airbnbs that the reviews were accurate but i that's all i could afford at the time Mm. and it is true to form and then obviously look at how many reviews if there's 10 reviews and they have like five stars it's like all right like let me dig a little deeper but if there's like (laughs) 300 reviews and it's 4.9 stars you're like man this place is legit Mm -hmm. uh Mm. so you got to make sure that it has a comfy bed make sure it has air conditioning because you'd be surprised at how many places don't have air conditioning yeah, depends uh, on where in the country when you, you are. To, when you go to Santa Cruz, because I've been looking, places don't have air conditioning because it does get cool there at night. 
but not every night. Um, so good bed, air conditioning, a decent kitchen or kitchenette because I have my own stuff that I can cook with. And yeah, other than that, like it, I always, I love a good patio area. Like something, the last Airbnb I stayed at in Texas had a beautiful patio area. It was all to myself. Cause I was like in like a suite that they had built out, I think their garage. So I was kind of off to the side and had my own little space and I could just go out there and read. I did yoga one morning out on the patio and it was covered. So the rain didn't bother me. So little things like that, that make it, you feel like you're home and you can kind of completely unpack for me, my car and live in a place for a week and yeah, I've always been fascinated by people's houses and like the way that they live because I've never done that. I've never lived by myself. I've always lived with roommates or my parents. <laughs> so I've never lived by myself. So it always intrigues me how somebody builds their house or their space. And it, yeah, so it's, it's neat to find different ones. And I'm, yeah, I love the hunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just saying, uh, we were talking, we I, I, no, I have a lot more questions actually, oh, but I'm going to let Johnny go. I was, I was just going to say, we were having this conversation with a friend of ours who's a, a realtor and she likes to actually go around to other people's houses and see how they live and just check them out, whether or not they're for sale or not. And just kind of peek in and just how, how, you know, are, are you a clutter type person? A lot of knickknacks. Is it relatively clean? Is it, you know, minimal, all that stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun to to do that it's one of the reasons i i liked house hunting a little bit nice yeah and what i i would follow up with is uh, when you're doing this are you often rooming with any other disc golfers uh or when you're on the hunt is it largely you know hey here's the space i'm gonna go find for the week or are you you know whether it's mpo fpo or any other division i guess it doesn't matter but are you ever you know kind of pooling resources or people together and saying hey i'm thinking about going here do you guys want to anybody else want to join me what, what's kind of the method in which you usually roll and who don't you like <laughs> oh. <laughs> just threw that in to see if i noticed that you said uh i in years past, yes, have usually just done it by myself. I'm just so used. It's it's easier. To, mm-hmm. It is more expensive sometimes, but it is easier to find stuff by yourself. This year, I am branching out. There are a couple Facebook groups where we can post, especially for women, where we're looking for other like pro women that are looking for a place to stay. So that's kind. Of, I've gone that route. I've actually probably found a place to stay for uh, U.S. Women's and. Wisconsin because of a group like that. Mm. And then I like to post on a couple of those pages. If I'm going to a place like let's say Santa Cruz for a master's cup, you have to book months in advance to try to find anywhere good because out there that's the season. So yes, I, this year I'm definitely trying to branch out a bit more split costs with people. And then it, it, you know, you get to spend time with people instead of just by myself. And yeah, there's nobody that I don't like. Like I, it's really neat to stay with groups and especially when they keep changing. Cause you never ever stay with the same people twice. I will say it is difficult because the amount of people that either have a van or sleep out of their sleep in their car, which kudos to them because I could still not make that work. Like my car is just too little and people make it, people do it or they have significant others to where they just want to stay by themselves. So it, it is a little difficult, but it is nice to have Facebook groups that you can post on and find pretty decent people, like pretty decent response 
And I have a couple places actually coming up to, I think Jonesboro and the DDO. I posted on those and we found some places to stay and I'm staying with different people from the uh, FPO field. So yeah, it's, it's been nice. Yeah. I'm definitely, it helps for sure. Yeah. Now, how do you specifically seek out places where you're, you're going to essentially be either uh, alone or, or what am I trying to say? The hosts aren't there. You know, you're not in necessarily a shared space with them. Is that something that you, you seek out specifically is that you want your own private uh, separation? The right. Yeah. If it's the right price for me specifically, excuse me, I definitely try to book a um, the entire house or I like to look for guest suites, which tip Sometimes people post on Airbnb and if you, there's a box you can check for entire place. Some people don't check that box and they, it's a private room when in fact it's actually like your private suite and it's in a separate area of the house that you never have to see the person. So it it really just comes down to doing your research, booking ahead of time. Uh, I've done some private rooms before in houses, but again, I make sure they have good reviews. I click on the person that's hosting I only really like to say with super hosts because they're like double verified. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of read their bio to, you know, sometimes I like to see if I'm going to vibe with a person. If I do see them, because a lot of places I stay, if it is a private room, sometimes you don't even see the person because you have different schedules and I just show up to sleep at night and I'm gone like first thing in the morning. So it's just a place to sleep. It's really just case and tournament dependent. Yeah. And I know this is going to wildly vary. I just like a hotel, just like any other thing within travel and time and year and location. But generally speaking, what do you feel like is is a good price range that somebody should expect to pay if you're looking for a a good host um, that's checking all your boxes? What's like the general range and what range is like either well, I'll say too low where it's like, no, that that's on sketch. <laughs> and I wouldn't even yeah. want to entertain it because it's almost too low and feels weird. Well, what's like a general price range? Okay. So when you stay at a host, if, if you go to Airbnb, most places give a weekly discount. So you mm-hmm. have to stay for seven days. You're actually losing money if you only stay for six on some places. Like if you do the math, you're actually losing money where you could just stay another night and so when I plan it, I'm like, oh, if it's a pro tour event, I know that the women now are cheating first thing in the morning so I can check out on a Sunday. As soon as my round is over, I can leave and take off for the next place. So it, And that's where when sometimes they switch on the tea times, understandably, some people got upset because it's like, no, I planned for this. Like, you got to check out. Yeah. So um, I would say for a week stay at a place, I budget for about five about $500 because I think that if I do enough research and I can find a good place, I can manage $500. And then the next week I'm going to probably go camping or stay with like a post, somebody that I've met over the years that I stay with. Um, and so it breaks even. So then technically I'm only paying like two fifty a week. <laughs> so it's really kind of about the balance. It's like, I know that if I'm going to stay with friends or family or I'm going to camp for, Camping, you should pay no more than, for me, tent camping at a nice place, $200 for a week. Like, that's generally what I'm paying, which is 
awesome. Like that's I assuming you have probably family. showers and some kind of electrical Correct. hookup. I assume roughly thirty bucks a night is is. Yep. Make sure there's good showers and bathrooms. And if you're tent camping, book a tent campsite that is close to the bathrooms because you do not <laughs> want to have to walk in the middle of the night if you have an emergency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Speaking from experience, um, yes, so about $500 a week, and it breaks even because of all the places I know throughout the year that I'm going to stay in places that are, are free um, because of gracious hosts, and then I can save money then. So sometimes I splurge a little bit and then just save extra money when I'm not paying because I found a really good Airbnb, and it's like six to $700 a week. And I also book a place that two people could stay at, and there might be a bed and a couch or maybe two beds in case somebody I run into, especially on the, in the FPO field, the, the field's being so big now. It's like, Hey, you need a place to stay. Like throw me, throw me a couple hundred bucks and you can stay here for the whole week. You know, let's kind of split this. So I, I plan ahead and for contingency stuff. So it, again, I love the hunt. It's, it's <laughs> very fun to me. It's what I love to do. Uh, uh, funny as a quick side note, I, I often for many years now have had a similar mentality from a hotel perspective in that if it's just me traveling, I will, and assuming prices are the same or they're usually identical, uh, a lot of times if there's a king bed or two queens, I will often take the two queens option just in case there's some particular player or person or other staff member, whomever that needs a place to crash in a pinch or, or, you know, something else comes up. I, that's kind of the mentality I've always had for sure. So, um, I guess that kind of, you somewhat already touched that on, do you have spots within either the country or or time frames within the year where you essentially always know, hey, there's a, a golfer or a supporter or a fan or a friend or whatever? Uh, how often are you staying with, we'll say, golf host? Um, Jerry, you're asking me to give up <laughs> my resources. I don't know if I can do that. Don't, don't asking, spill the beans, Ellen. Don't, don't spill the beans. How often? How often? I don't need names. How often, uh, though, are you like, oh, hey, I go to this city and, uh, you know, there's a fan I met five years ago or a friend or whatever, or fans that become friends or, or just fellow players that are the local player that say, hey, I can put you up for the week. Is, is that a, uh, a yeah. common uh, commonplace for you? It is. Um, I would say probably I average about once a month. Um, okay. I know that when I go to Michigan, and I look forward to going to Michigan for the tournament, but also for staying at the house that has hosted me for many years, like mm. – they're amazing. Uh, I'm actually staying with somebody in Tallahassee that reached out to me, uh, a disc golfer in the community and his family. They're like, yeah, we have a place for you to stay. Like, come on up whenever. So it, it's nice over the years. It wasn't like this the first year or two being new on the tour. It's like nobody knew who I was. So it mm. was kind of mm. scary. And it's like networking and trying to figure out, I'd be like, wow, how are, all, how are people finding these places? Like, I don't understand. And then <laughs> the more you talk to people, the more people like you recognize and then come in contact with and then networking. And I was like, oh yeah, like just talk to people. Like, so I would say it averages about once a month. And then I get to stay with family probably once every two to two and a half months. I have, they're, they're scattered throughout the country on my dad's side and my sister's now out in Seattle, so I'm going to get to see her. And I got to see my best friend in Las Vegas 
for the Las Vegas Challenge. I stayed with Christine Finley. Shout out. Hi. I got to stay with her for two weeks and we we had the best time because we hadn't seen each other and spent a lot of quality time together. So it, I love my job because I get to travel and get to stay with people that I've never met before that are, they just open up their hearts and their houses and they don't know me from Joe Schmo. And they're just like, you seem all right. Come on in. Like be part of our family for a week. I stayed with the, the, these people in Texas, Corey, man, you and your family, you were great. And they took me in like I was part of their family. And it, I, that was one of the best experiences I've had since I've been on tour. Yeah. It, yeah. it, I've, we've said that now for literally 20 years when Johnny V and I, for instance, went on spring break and while everyone's partying in Cancun, we were out playing disc golf. I know. Just go figure. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was the most boring spring break you can imagine. Well, no, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun for us, but we, our goal was to hit as many courses oh, as God. we could. It wasn't like go to the beach and party. It was, all right, in Georgia, there's 40 courses. And, yeah, let's hit 38 it, of them let, if let's we try can. To, yeah, let's try to hit 30 of them in the Atlanta area. Which, to, and to be fair, finding courses back then, not only using a, an actual map and, and a spiral-bound notebook, but just in general, there were, there wasn't a course you know, every 10 feet like we have now. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, what... What is it about the, I mean, I know you just explained everything great about Airbnbs. I, I feel like the one flip side to maybe all of those benefits are that I personally now have, have come to, I don't know if it enjoys quite the word, seek out is if you spend so much time at a chain or at hotels, you then start earning you know your way into yeah. some free nights, but you clearly don't feel like that that's worth the trade-off I guess is what you, you you probably think yeah I in I thought about that before how Airbnb should do some type of like point system based mm-hmm. on how many times you stay with them but I so for me I like to cook and when I stay okay. at a hotel okay. when you try to find a place with a suite that has a kitchenette that has a stove or anything it, the price just goes through the roof and it's just not worth it in the long run for me because I save on money if I just buy groceries for the week and I'm able to come back and cook. And yeah, so I think it breaks even when it comes down to that. I would love when I was in the military on the military's dime. Thank you. Like at the government's dime, I just, I would earn points. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't paying for hotels, mm-hmm. but I would earn those points and it was great. But I, I just think that the experience with an Airbnb and getting to meet hosts sometimes that even if you're staying in a, like a secluded area, sometimes you actually get to meet them. And I've had dinner with a couple of them. And I think the experience far outweighs the hotel where it's just check in and then you're in your room and don't get me wrong every <laughs> once in a while. It's nice. Cause you just want to be by yourself. But uh Yeah. Airbnb point system. I like that. Yeah. And, that. I, I, and I'll, I'll say, I feel like I would fully change it up if Airbnb, you know, had something of that nature. And I know it's, it's not the same because chains are franchised and, you know, I, I understand yep. a ton of those logistics as to why. Um, but I think that to me is one of the, the biggest appeals is the fact that I know if I'm, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If I'm if I'm committed to a given chain or whatever, I'm going to get some form of a perk or kickback, you know, in due time right. for you know being consistent with one particular place. But again, you, you trade so off much. so many things. Yeah, you get frequent. I'm you fly so much with the frequent flyer miles. I, I can't even imagine like 
yes, I, that is a hundred percent the right way to go. For, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll just to finish that thought, I would say if I were more like a lot of our touring players that were frequently had a lot of their stuff with them and then they wanted to unpack and spread out. And then, you know, that was kind of, they were traveling with a lot more stuff in that sense. I think an Airbnb would probably be more advantageous. Like you said, I I would be like, damn, where are the most shelves? Like I need, I need a place with shelves (laughs) to put all of my stuff everywhere. But uh, I I could, so I can, I, I can totally understand that there's, there's a certain, I was going to say sterileness, if that's the word, but there's, <laughs> which is kind of an, uh, <laughs> maybe a catch 22 with some hotels, but anyway, it's, it's just kind of a sterile environment. It's certainly not as homey and as feeling. And that's so much of the appeal to the Airbnb. Like if you have five friends over and you want to play cards or you want to, you know, have a meal together. Yeah, yeah you're right. A hotel is not generally going to be that setting. Can I give a really quick tip to, anybody that's traveling or touring or pro touring actually two tips first of all get some type of gas app and i know that they're not really doing a lot now because of how high the gas prices are but Mm -hmm. i have a gas app where i get cash back because i it gives you a cheaper price on gas again you got to do your research and also if you have a credit card or you are a fan or you're okay with credit cards get a credit card that somehow gets you travel points for gas and groceries and hotel stays. Like find the, do some research and get a credit card that is going to give you something back because as much as you're on the road, you are doing yourself a disservice if you are not getting something out of it. So, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, those, those are very, very valid points. Cause you're, as you said, if you're probably charging something Anyway, in yeah. terms of how you're paying for it, you certainly find whatever um, you know credit card service that offers you the best return on on said purchases yeah. that you're going to be making regardless. And then I always think of the you know getting Kmart involved with those big gas prices, those big ass Kmart big ass trucks. Yeah. Anyway, people, uh, people listening to this don't know what Kmart is. I know, I know that's how old that's how old I am. <laughs> no, Terry. Oh gosh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, is there any, I know we kind of talked about where you're going, what you're looking forward to. Is there any event or stop that would be truly surprising? We're like, Oh, I would have never thought of that. Or, Oh, um, what brings you there? Is there any stop or anything this year or place that off the top of your head that might seem out of the ordinary to others? Um, well, I signed up for one in Canada, but I've dragged my feet on getting my passport. So I don't think that's going to happen. And I actually looked at the tour and it's, I'm like backtracking. So maybe next year. Um, no, honestly, everything, I mean, the 303 open in Colorado is kind of a, a stopping. It's an A tier on the way to California and I have friends there and I've been wanting to play in Colorado again for years. I think that's really the only yeah, the only surprise. There's really nothing crazy this year. I kind of did that last year. So, okay. It's you're, well, in um, a good way. And at any, you're not, uh, I, I'm sorry, I guess I could just look at your schedule. Johnny's got I it. I have up. it up here. You are oh, not. Changing. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say you are not going international, though. With that, Well, I guess your passport uh, answer just <laughs> yeah, kind of I, answers that. I you're not going don't. to European Open or any of those. I'm not, and my sister and I really want to go one of these years, and she's kind of settled in Seattle right now. 
Um, I, and I'm not saying I don't want to go because I've already been to Europe. It's not as much of a, a desire for me mm-hmm. to go over there. I think because I have been, I haven't played disc golf over there. Um, at least not officially, but hopefully I would say within the next year or two, I'll, I'll go over to Europe to play, play disc golf, but it just wasn't on the docket for this year. I think if I do that, I'll probably play less events stateside, which will require a little bit more planning on my part and budgeting. So it just wasn't, yeah, this year just wasn't in the cards. Yeah. And, and I think you just hit the nail on the head. I always, I remember thinking in 2008, I had the opportunity. To, I actually, I was before I was doing media, really. I went and played in the Japan Open. And I remember oh. thinking like, this is incredible. This is amazing. I'm so glad I went. I loved it. And I remember when it rolled around two years later, I thought, well, I'd like to go somewhere else. That was a very different world of disc golf in 2008. But I always thought, yeah, I love Japan. And I, you know, it was this insane experience. But if I'm going to travel international to go somewhere, I should go play one of the other international events. And uh, so I can I can understand if you've been to, you but know, then you got to parts. go with me and Johnny Rumble. We went to Japan in 2010 together. I know, and, then so I, and to be fair, the reason I got to go was you, thanks to our friends over at Innova. I had purchased a whole bunch of fundraiser discs that were support discs, uh, 150 class Japan Open rocks. Yeah, and nice. I just bought them because I'm a hoarder and a collector. And then Sam Ferens called me and said, hey, Terry. Uh, you won the grand prize, which is free airfare to the Japan Open because you had bought some of these discs. And therefore, that I was like, oh, oh I did? God. Okay, I guess I'll go. <laughs> and oh, uh, yeah. So then I had to go back to Japan. But but oh, my, my well logic was... Well worth it. <laughs> you know, I, I'd like to try other new places. And um, that's how I still feel to this day, right? You know, if you've been somewhere, you're like, yeah, it might've been great or amazing. Like I'm never going to turn down an opportunity to go to Norway, even though I've been there twice. But if somebody said, Hey, do you want to go to Norway or another country for the first time? Well, I'd love to go to a new country. So I I know exactly how you feel. You'll get back there. You'll go play some golf over there. Um, Innova this year, primary sponsor, Name some of your other sponsors, who you're working with, who's been supporting you, all that kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah, Innova, they have been amazing. I've been with them since the beginning. It's just, I actually found out when I was in town for Throwdown in 2017, my first year, I was at my parents' house. My best friend, Christine, had just driven nine hours from North Carolina to surprise me at the course to be there this that weekend. And I found out that weekend that I got sponsored by Innova. So it, it, Throwdown also it holds another special place in my heart because of that. So yes, Innova Champion Discs, amazing. Uh, Sun King Discs is actually new this year. Uh, Mike Barnett, we talked a lot over the offseason about it. And he's helped support me. And I actually went over to his course and played there quite a few times uh, to get some good practice in. So Sun King this year, and it's just nice to be sponsored by a Florida company. Finally, like I just feel like it's it's fitting. <laughs> uh, I have Upper Park bags again this year. Love them. Uh, they've done so many neat things with social media. They just did the April Fools thing with Disc Golf in Space. That was hilarious, and the, it was a lot of effort. They were doing it like a month in advance, so that was really <laughs> cool. And then Disc Golf pins. Mm-hmm. I have a bogeys or dumb pin and my Ellen Woodboom tour series with me. I think I'm throwing a sidearm and my water jug 
is on the pin as well. <laughs> of course. <laughs> as it should hydrated. be. Yep. As it should be. And then New World Disc Golf up in the sports complex up in Jacksonville. Uh, Jen McRae, she hit me up and she's trying to get the women's scene going there. And unfortunately with Johnny and everything that he's going through, I, it, it, they're going through a lot. So obviously our best wishes and prayers are with them. Um, so it's kind of taking a little bit of a back burner, understandably, but they are, she's a big supporter of women's disc golf and trying to get that uh, going up there. So yeah, those are my sponsors for this year. Uh, is there any, we'll, we'll make it a call out, whatever. Is there any, thing that you're looking for in terms of sponsorship i mean you've obviously got dis and uh and a bag sponsor and such is there any sponsor that'd be like yeah that'd be really cool if blank industry called me up and and wanted to support me is there anything in particular airbnb uh uh, besides man i mean i eat a ton of snacks i have all the food sponsors in mind i could definitely pull a paul ulibari and like (laughs) just start naming food items that i'd love to be sponsored by but honestly ultra shoes a-l-t-r-a my feet i used to wear other shoe brands that were like squashing my feet and i have i have big kind of wider feet and i after a round of disc golf i would be my feet would just be cramping and in pain so i have switched to them a year and a half ago and i have had i'm not even kidding i'm zero foot pain after any round that I've ever had. I love their shoes. I own three pairs in the same exact color and size because they're super great and I love them. So I think a shoe company would be amazing because they are expensive. They're about 150 bucks for a pair, but they're worth every penny and they last a while. So yeah, I think the shoe company would be great. Um, Nature's Bakery, Fig Bars, you guys are amazing. I eat you like your bars every day. They are a solid fig Newton delicious treat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, some snacks, some shoes. Yes. Have you have you had any conversations or, or had a chance to try or check out the new uh, Idio shoes that are uh, being produced and put I together? I did talk to them last year and did something with their funders. Honestly, I'm not going to. I was confused at what was happening. I I don't I didn't I don't know if they were like trying to sponsor players or if they were just trying to get like you to pay a certain amount and you'd get a discount on the shoes. So I think I let that go by the wayside. Okay. And then I think okay. I was just so set on the shoes that I was wearing that I was like I don't I can't go anywhere else. Like these are these are perfect. These are exactly what I need. So I think that was more or less I was just really happy with what I was already wearing. They look amazing and it's really neat to see pros wearing them and what they're doing for the sport. I think I was just in a different place. Yeah. And I, I'm sure as you said, I think they were maybe doing a Kickstarter, getting some things ready. Might have been. Uh, yeah. And uh, now that they are continuing to move forward with development and, and I have no tie to them other than speaking with them briefly. Uh, and I'm excited to check them out personally, but um, you know, maybe, you could always, you know, circle back, revisit that with them because yep. there again, it's how awesome to have someone that's trying to service the needs and the specific, uh, you know, design around disc golfers, you know, and I feel like that's true of any, anyone coming into our sport that has a particular focus and, and mindset of, Hey, I want to service that community for these specific needs, you know, whether it's toe dragging or, or just certain support in certain ways or traction. I mean, you know, it's so cool to think like, Hey, they have us in mind when they're developing this product exclusively for us. So, right. 
That's an unpaid, not paid ad, <laughs> non-ad for them. I I was just tying it together because um, sure, I know Terry. that they're coming. Uh, the, yeah, you know, right. They're coming too. But next week's show presented by. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to sponsor us, Terry. No, they oh, shouldn't. Eh, maybe. Great. Either way. All right, Alan, is there anything else we, uh, we, oh, I do have to ask, uh, since you, of course, are Airbnb fanatic and, and, you know, very much (laughs) more questions along those lines. What's been like a hesitation I have of them is with what seems like very little kickback, they can kind of cancel your stay. Hmm. Right. Like, so you could plan on a place in Santa Cruz for six months and literally like three days or less before you arrive, they could say, oh, hey, sorry, not available. A, have you been burned by that or B, does that at all scare you? That has only happened to me. I once or twice, maybe in the nine years I've been using Airbnb and it was well within notice. I, I, okay. I think it's because I do. I think it's because I do my research. Like I'm not saying anybody that's ever happened who hasn't because it extenuating circumstances, but I, so the super hosts, like I highly recommend booking a place that has really good reviews and somebody that is verified because it doesn't, it hasn't happened to me a lot. And maybe that's why um, I know that when you are booking a place, another tip, look at the cancellation policy because maybe because of the, of covid or maybe they've always done this some places you cannot cancel and get a refund it says no refund if you cancel like so do Mm -hmm. your research and Mm -hmm. if you are booking a place months in advance write down the date on your calendar when is the last date you can possibly cancel by to get a hundred percent refund and then so you know you have it on your schedule and but definitely look at their cancellation policy because some people are like oh if you cancel you'll get your cleaning service feedback, which is like a hundred dollars off a $700 reservation. You're like, what? Like (laughs) pay attention, do your research. So no, I haven't had that happen much, if at all. I think maybe one time. Yeah. And and maybe as you're, you're kind of saying that might go hand in hand with then the host and the, the The super host, the super host and just the overall standing that they have, you know, if somebody cancels, five times in 10 reservations there's you know who knows w- what kind of reviews they'll have or that is probably indicative of you know just how they conduct their business yes i did have that happen to me once where the person i booked it and then they they canceled on me and they messaged me oh hey sorry you i didn't mean for you to book this i actually i actually booked somebody else i need you to cancel the reservation they're if you cancel the reservation, you didn't get your money back. So it, I was like, this is a scam. So that actually happened mm-hmm. to me twice during COVID. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, and then I messaged them. I was like, actually, it says in the rules that you need to cancel this reservation so that I get my money back. And I actually had to fight with one person back and forth and they were playing dumb. And I was like, this is a scam. So again, be very aware. Like you're rarely in the wrong. Like if, if you feel like it's a scam, it's probably a scam. So, and then we had to get Airbnb involved one time years ago. We booked a place, a door was cracked. We didn't notice it upon arrival and they're supposed to do a pre-inspection before we show up. We left. I get a message from the Airbnb host saying, 
you cracked my door. You owe me $400 because we had an estimate done on the house to fix this doorway. I said, I didn't know that was there. You should have checked it before it was there. Actually, the one guy, a pro player was staying there. He's like, I noticed it, but didn't say anything because I didn't do it. And it was already there when I checked in. I reported it to Airbnb. Airbnb was like, we have noted your complaint. We will take care of this. And I never heard anything again. So they covered it. So do, I have so many recommendations. Do an inspection when you first get to Airbnb. And if you see anything, immediately message the host or take a picture, document it. And if, especially if it's something big, because the last thing you want is to be charged or get scammed by people because they're out there. Even if they're a super host, like just be aware of your surroundings and yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I guess, and obviously that kind of just filters into or carries over into a lot of the times you're renting or utilizing something else, you know, rental car uh, or, or anything of that nature. Right. And it's like, hey, do a quick check on this, see if it's operational or, you know, was that scratch or dent? I'm sometimes meticulous when I will get a rental car and I'll like drag somebody over and I'll be like, hey, there's this here. Oh, okay. I'll note it on the, you know, I'll note it on your document. I'm like, yeah. What if, what if I just return this and you, you know, you guys then want yeah. to charge me. So I'll, I'll be a little overbearing sometimes if I have to be uh, in terms of making sure, <laughs> you know, you, you want to c- cover yourself so you're not getting blamed for it. I think that was, was that Eagle that maybe locked himself out of a room and they ended up having to break the break door. down a door at oh, an Airbnb no. and then oh, they went to re- <laughs> they had to replace the door eventually. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's that as well. So uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, have you ever thought about and of course, I, I have to assume you're pretty diligent on writing reviews yourself, right? Is that is that an yeah. assumption? So have you ever thought about taking it a notch up from there and doing any kind of other more thorough or blog or vlog type reviews on on places? Because I think that's a huge opportunity and one that you're already there for. Yes, I, I looked into that when I was like, man, how do I get paid for traveling? <laughs> you know, I was like, how do you make money when you're on the road? You know, just kind of the Google searches that every pro tour player at one point does. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I tried to start a blog one time, but no, I really enjoy helping out other people find a place like that. So yes, no, I think that would be kind of cool. I thought about doing it, especially for women on the road, especially if you're a solo traveler. Um, I think for me, it's, it's always that first like step, you know, and for a lot of people, you know, it's that fear of failure. And it's like, well, if you never start, you're never going to fail. So it's like, how do I do this? Where do I start? And then it's like, well, I don't know how to do this. So I'm not going to do it. So no, I agree. I definitely a hundred percent agree with you, Terry. I've thought about it. I just haven't taken that step into doing it, but I think it would be a good resource because I do have all that knowledge and experience and information and I am passionate about it. So, yes, I'm going to look at don't, that. Don't make Thank me you. get all... I, Gary, don't do it, Jerry. Yeah, no, I'll get no. all Gary Vaynerchuk on you and start sending you some some motivational uh, messages that say, quit with your effing excuses. That That's your first problem. Don't worry about it, Ellen. But the point is, yes, you're exactly right. You need to get started. I'll make the offer. How about this? You take your phone... And you do a two to five minute review of any and all Airbnbs you go to. 
I'll just pay you outright for the review, and then we'll post them on the Disc Golf Girls channel on YouTube. Oh man, this is so a business you're making money, like and you're it. you're talking about Airbnb, which you love. We'll talk, Terry. I okay. like this. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying because that was the exact no, thought I, I had. Like I, I, I go to I these hotels know. all the time, and I'm always thinking. Yeah, you see all these reviews and what do you trust? What do you not trust? And then I thought, wait yeah. a minute, I'm already going to a hotel and I already have a camera. Aside from the obvious creepy nature of that, I do think, <laughs> hey, why don't I why don't I record a quick like three minute review of this hotel and then just post it to YouTube? And you'd be surprised, you know, how often someone's like, oh, hey, I'm going to be in, you know, all they got to do is type in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And they're like, oh, well, this this guy is showing me the room and is telling me that it's terrible or it smells funny or it's got great Internet or whatever they have. Like, it's that easy. And all you need is your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's another talk for another day. Yeah, no, we'll we'll figure something out because I do like that idea. And especially for the areas that pro tour players go all the time, like, I have looked for Airbnbs that I've stayed at in the past. I have I have yet to stay at the same Airbnb twice. A because there's so many and some like the ones that I've stayed at I guess are pretty good so they get booked mm. in advance and I can never book the same one twice cuz I have some really good ones. There's one in up in Wisconsin that I wish I could find and it I can't find it anymore <laughs> cuz I'm pretty sure it's just like booked solid. Yeah, I mean and that that yeah. The what I'm telling you is also comes from my thought of doing it is because not only is it helping all these other people and it's it's getting you to do it, it's also leaving a little bit of almost a diary and a and a trail so that when you go back you're like oh yeah four years ago I did stay here here's my video that is me talking yep. about how much I loved it like I need to book there again so there's a lot of yeah I I've like thought that. about this a lot so anyway Alan okay. no I like that. We'll find you a shoe sponsor, uh, a fig sponsor, and uh, we'll we'll get you vlogging. Uh, it sounds like we've All had right. a pretty a pretty accomplished night here. Yeah, I think so. Uh, can I? I was just going to say one more thing, and yes, it's kind of personal. Always. The floor is yours. But I figure since I have the floor, um, I don't know if anybody's noticed this band aid on my face. It's on this side, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, I sorry, I was looking at the monitor, and I was like, wait. The, <laughs> So I had a biopsy done on my face. I posted it on Facebook Mm -hmm. and uh, results came back yesterday when I talked to the doctor. It is early stages of skin cancer, but Mm. it is treatable. Um, I don't remember the exact name. However, I do have to schedule another appointment to basically what they do is they're going to scrape layer by layer and they're going to go until they call the like they called it the margins are clear. So I, it's in-house, it's in an office, um, and it's like an outpatient procedure. So they numb the area, and they take samples, and they go down. And so it's if, it's, if anybody can learn anything, like I'm not asking for like, you know, a pity party or anything like that. That's not what this is about. I just, sun protection, like wear sunscreen, we're disc golfers, we're out in the sun all the time. I was out in the sun even before I played disc golf and I was like, I don't need a hat. Like I look good with a tan. Some people's like skin is different than others. And this spot had been there for 10 years and they, you know, the military told me, Oh, here, we're going to freeze it off. And they froze it off twice. And then, Oh, here's some creams for it. And this dermatologist finally after 10 years was like, we should probably take a biopsy of that. Cause it hasn't gone away. 
oh, it turns out it's early stages of skin cancer. Like, get your skin checked out and, like, take care of yourself. You only get one. So, yes, I, I am fine. I'm mentally, I'm okay. They're going to take care of it. My dad actually had kind of the same procedure done. But I just want to let people know my season might kind of change. I'm still waiting to get an appointment for it. Um, but if it does change, it's probably because I have to come back to Florida to get this done. So wear, wear your sunscreen, kids. I know nobody's going to remember that song from like, I don't even remember who say, or it was just like that guy's like at the end, he's like, and he's like, wear your sunscreen. So I don't know that. I what is she talking was. about? Wow. Oh, no. Normally, <laughs> oh, normally I at least reference. catch on a little bit. I have no clue what that is. So. Uh, we're going to have to take, we're going to have to take it to the Googles. Songs, 1990s. Wear your sunscreen. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that, uh, and, and song. truly, Ellen, I know you're speaking to the world. You're, you're obviously speaking directly to me as well in the sense that I, I am very poor about doing it. I, I hate the way, whether it's bug spray or, Boslerman. uh, whether it's bug spray or it's, or it's suntan or sunscreen, I, I hate the texture yeah. of it. And so, I need to get over that and uh, very much uh, heed your advice. And people have thrown it at me, of course, for years. But I, you're you're 100 percent spot on, and that's uh, something I need to take more serious myself. So yeah, I hear even you. And- if you don't, even if you don't choose to wear sunscreen or whatever, at least if you have a funny spot that you've noticed and it doesn't go away, just go get it checked out. Like if you don't like pay the extra money to just go get something checked out by a dermatologist because it could become something serious. So like, yeah, I, that's, yeah. So just take care of yourself. So you only get one, one body. <laughs> yes. Well, hundred percent with you. I'm a very much a hat person and I'm as pasty as they yeah. come. So it's, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. That's how life goes. I, I have fair skin. I, I totally understand. <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. I just call myself pasty. So, well, we look forward. <laughs> we, hopefully we look forward to seeing you here in Wisconsin in, at the end of June. I, can't wait i'm so excited yeah so just an hour away from where we are right now yeah it's gonna be awesome and i will see you in uh, i want to say seven eight days probably eight days i will be down in in georgia uh down there for our first major of the year so i'm looking forward to that i know our entire disc golf community is as well and um looking forward to four days of nonstop disc golf down there as well and i'm sure i'll be seeing you out there walking around with your water jug Staying away from bogeys and uh, cashing in some yep. long putts. Looking forward to all of it. Yeah, Ellen, I will be. congrats this weekend. Uh, congrats on everything you're doing and working on. And, and I think you continue to be a shining star for a lot of people who have dreams and aspirations of, of hitting the road, being a professional disc golfer, but maybe more so than all of that or in addition to all of that, just uh, living life to your fullest. And uh, I think that radiates every single time we see or hear from you. And uh, it, you're, I know you, you want to protect yourself from the sunshine, but you are always sunshine to everyone's day. And uh, we love and appreciate oh, you. Terry Miller. <laughs> thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. As always, you're always welcome here. You don't, you don't need any special invites. If you ever have any projects or initiatives or anything you want to share, you're always welcome here. Uh, you know, the debut of your new Airbnb blog, whatever, vlog. <laughs> We're here for it. Uh, We'll help promote that as well. But looking forward to it. Again, we'll see you in eight days. Ellen Widboom, your Throwdown the Mountain Open champion. Congratulations, and we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya, Ellen. Bye. See ya, Ellen Widboom.
love having her second, third, fourth time, whatever it's been. Uh, we can never get enough of her. Uh, thank you so much. As we said, uh, I, for the hundredth time, we'll reiterate staff, the crew, everybody at uh, the Sun King operation, and then the volunteers and the people that go along with it. Um, so incredible. And, you know, one more time, I'll, I'll reiterate my time over at the Reader's House. Uh, Dwayne, Susan, uh, so much fun. They, they really, everything she's saying about having a host and, and feeling welcomed is exactly how I feel over there. I think it's, for some reason, they've let me in there four or five, maybe even six years now. And it's, I've got my own room. Um, they, I come and go as, as I need to, but they always have food available if, if I want it. And then uh, I was roomed right next to Paul and Hannah for the weekend, which is also always a lot of fun. So uh, thank you, Dwayne, Susan, little dog, Sydney. <laughs> who's, well, who's growing on me? Uh, I'm not much of a dog guy, but they're all these dogs I'm seeing week in and week out are growing on me. So thank you to everybody's the got a travel pet these days, man. That that too, Lisa. Lisa's got a travel cat. Uh, you know, Kyle and Cynthia recently, not too long ago, got also got themselves a little uh, little puppy. So, yep. uh, yeah, lots of lots of animals out there on the tour, which is totally understandable. Um. Yeah, so thank you to all. Let's let's go over a few of the results here from this weekend. Read off the top few players. So throw down the mountain as we talked about uh, with FPO. We see Ellen Windboom. Thanks to Ellen for coming on. She won this weekend. She won by a total of four strokes over Lisa Fakus. Lisa shot a phenomenal second round to get back up into second place. Third place was a tie between one Hannah Macbeth. Congratulations, Hannah. Shooting three over, I'm sorry, seven over par total, three on the, the, the second round. Uh, Morgan Linz and Jordan Linz. Uh, sisters? Oh, yeah. All right. So the Linz sisters. Uh, tied for sixth place was Pam Renke. Reineke? Mm-hmm. Well, we'll go with that. Terry, you probably know. And in sixth place, Haley Child. So congratulations to the women uh, who competed at Throw Down the Mountain. Let's talk about open men real quick. We already mentioned Hannah, so I guess we have to mention Paul. He wins. He won by a single stroke over Calvin Heimberg. Uh, shooting Paul shot 22. Calvin shot a 21. Congratulations. Uh, Micah Groth shooting 14 under par. Shooting a pretty darn... I mean, I want to say... It's hard to justify or to judge it when you say it's a pretty darn good eight down when the two top players in the world, two of the top players in the world are shooting 10 and 11. But congratulations, Mike, on shooting eight down. Thomas Gilbert in fourth place at 13 under and tied for fifth was Alex Russell and William Hanu. So those were your top MPO players for Throw Down the Mountain. And you can catch all that footage on the Disc Golf Guy channel. Please go in, tune in, give them a view or two. Uh, turn off your ad blockers, <laughs> join the cult, send them cash, PayPal, Terry at ProDiscGolfer.com. I don't know what you're doing. So either way, go check out the uh, the results at uh, on YouTube right there. Sorry about that. And let's go ahead and talk about our Silver Series event that we had this past weekend, which was the Music City Open. It was in Tennessee, so you know who won. <laughs> Pretty simple about that. Chris Dickerson wins in Tennessee. That's all you need to say. Uh, second place, Adam Hammes from Wisconsin here. Shot three strokes less than Chris Dickerson. In third place. Three strokes more, I think. Well, 
the result was less than better. But yes. Okay. However you want to phrase it. It was three strokes worse than Chris Dickerson. Uh, Laurie Lettinen, third, who shot a 12 under final round to jump himself up. A phenomenal uh, three pars, a double bogey. And the rest were birdies. Dang! So he had a heck of he had himself a heck of a round. Um, I, I think nope. There is no score for Nico on eighteen because I think he's still putting. Oh, uh, you want time you want? clock violation burn? <laughs> yeah, so timely. So timely. <laughs> uh, fourth place was Nico LaCastro. Fifth place Ezra Aderhold. Sixth place Alden Harris. Seventh place Double G. And tied for eighth, Jake Mon and Joel Freeman. So congratulations to those men. Let's talk about the FPO field getting her first win of the year, Silver Series. Winning by four strokes over Cat March was Missy Gannon. Congratulations, Missy. It was a great Discraft week if you're keeping track of team scores. Uh, Cat March takes second place. Third place, Macy Veladiaz. I think Macy, you know, this isn't going on on a limb here, but think she's going to be good. Say it. I think she's going to finish top three at an elite series. Oh, yeah. I, this year. I think that's a a given. Yeah. I, I mean, she's, that is not a hot take. I, no, it's not. By I any just, means. Everybody, is, you, you can see how well she's playing. And M- Macy is, you know, and obviously this is a silver series. But I think she's going to make that jump to an elite series the way she's been playing. Yeah. Um, so congratulations, Macy. Um, fourth place, Deanne Carey, Holly Finley. Hannah Blomrus, congratulations to all you. Seventh, Natalie Ryan. Eighth, Emily Beach, who Emily Beach, that final round. Holy cow, I'm just looking at the scores <laughs> yeah. for the first time now. And also, I think she had a birthday yesterday or the day before, but go Happy on. Happy birthday, Emily. Emily, um, I did get to watch, I watched the, the FPO final round. I did not okay. get a chance to watch the MPO. I was busy with family stuff, but uh, they kept showing Emily's scorecard because, you know, she was just kicking some ass and shot a seven down on the first eight holes. Dang. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She was she was killing it. So congratulations, Emily. Jessica Weiss, ninth. Rebecca Cox and Evelina Salonen for 10th. So that is your, those are your results for your Music City Open at Mill Ridge Park. Awesome. Yay. Well, nice work, everyone. Uh, this is, this was a really unique weekend in the sense that you nor I really had any personal involvement with the disc golf pro tour happenings. I mean, if really that's the best way to word it, Mm -hmm. we, I, of course, being in Florida doing throat on the mountain, which I've been to quite a few times and you not uh, directing the show and switching the show uh, from the live capacity, uh, instead someone else was doing that. It's just, it's very rare mm-hmm. that you nor I have anything to do with a Disc Golf Pro Tour event that's taking place. I, I jokingly Did told... Did fire us? Um, not yet. That we know of. Not yet. We'll sit tight. <laughs> I'll check my email. We'll, we'll, no, don't check it. Then <laughs> okay. just show up and keep billing them. <laughs> um, no, I, I made the analogy to the guys in the control room this weekend when I hopped on just to make sure everything was okay. Um, that last year when I, I, I handed over the reins to Ian, I felt like I was like gi- giving my baby to a babysitter for the first time because I literally kind of sat behind them and watched them do it. This week... This is the first event that I wasn't involved in this year. 
I kind of felt like we're much more evolved things. We have a lot bigger team. The events are set behind the scenes technology wise that I more or less kind of felt like I was giving my 16 year old the keys to the car for the first time. Like everything's matured. It's, it's a lot harder to make mistakes. The guys know what they're doing. They don't need us nearly as much Mm. um, to do a lot of what they're doing. Um, they still need us a little bit. Don't think about getting rid of us yet. But yes, handing the keys off to the guys and they and Gary, who produced the show, did a great job from what I could see. And uh, and Mo did graphics. Everyone was mixing up stuff. Tosi continued to do assets, and we had a different director who'd never done it before. So that's the nice thing about the Silver Series is getting to, and it's going to be the same with this upcoming weekend. I will have nothing to do with the next Silver Series at Tennessee. Is uh, or not, I'm sorry, not in Tennessee, at uh, Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. I won't have anything to do with that one either. So it's kind of nice just handing it off and being like, cool, I'll catch you at the big events. Mm-hmm. So it's it's great. We're we're doing doing some great things. Yeah, and uh, without getting into the drama, because largely, again, we weren't, uh, we didn't have uh, front row seats or uh, f- personal interaction with it, but it sounded as if one of the big conversation pieces that came out of this weekend specifically, and I know, (laughs) unfortunately, this is not new. uh, It sounds as if there was uh, a question of Nico's time and the time in which he took. Is that... Have you seen the picture of Ezra looking at his watch? (laughs) The the disc golf picture from the weekend. Ezra checking his watch on the tee while Nico stands on the tee. Um, yeah, Nico, slow, we all know. Jeff Spring literally warned him on hole five. Okay. Uh, Uh, final round. I believe it was the final round. Yes. Okay. Uh, Warned him about his time violation, which didn't appear to phase him or change him or do anything. Okay. Um, from my understanding, he continued to take that amount of time if, maybe he cut five seconds off, but when you're going 55 seconds and you go to 50 seconds, I don't know if anyone notices. So yes, that was a big point of contention. A lot of the message boards, a lot of Facebook and stuff, just screaming that we need to do something, that something needs to be done, that officials need to show up all anything that we've talked about over the last five years regarding time violations. It was, it's all been rehashed. You know, Everybody has an idea and everybody has a solution. I don't know what the right ones or the wrong ones are. So it's. So so just, and and this is in 100% uh, ignorance, believe it or not. I, since I know nothing other than what you've just said, and, and that was essentially what I kind of already knew for the most part. I, I'd love to know: is it is it the putting? Is it dry? It's usually putting, it, but is it putting? Is it driving? Is it preparing for shots? Is there are there any potential distractions? Like wh- no, that doesn't oh, matter. That I, I know, the, I know. I'm just I, I'm now, I'm, but, I'm just trying to contextualize the situation in general. I'm not trying to. Uh, it was everything. I, I my understanding was on the tee. He was taking extra time. Um, th- there was there was a sequence that Charlie was talking about today that. Nico got off in the woods and I, I am, I understand 30 seconds, but I am a little bit more lenient. If your lie is very difficult to get to, 
If you if, have a once in a round yeah, you, challenging you, lie, yes. correct? You you have I, right or wrong? Yes. There's usually leniency for that. I, I have no problem if you know everybody kind of looks the other way. If it takes you 45 seconds on one throw to get into or under some bushes or get to your lie or whatever that may be. Apparently, there was one point where uh, he had said that Nico went into the woods, took like two plus minutes to throw, finally got it, hit a tree 15 to 20 feet in front of him, and then took another two to four minutes, whatever, to throw. And it, it was like it was like four minutes of just Nico just sitting there doing trying to get out of the woods in, in some thick rough. It just I, I'm with everybody when I say something has to be done, but I'm also saying it has to be done by the players. You have to call him. I, I don't care how miserable he's going to make your life for the rest of that round. You have to call him. Like yeah, that's at, part of our current rules. That's that's part of the you current need rules. to call those and, rules or, or if, if, if you don't want to do it, call the TD, literally have him walk over. I, I mean, TDs have usually better things to do officials, things like that, but it has to start with the players. That's where it has to start. And because we're not at the opportunity or not at the point yet where we can have six or eight course officials wandering around, just waiting for problems to happen. And, you know, the TD is busy doing a lot of other things. It, it just it has to start with the players right now. We're not big enough. We're not we're not to the point yet where where we have these other resources. It has to start with the players. And I know it's difficult. I know it is. Everybody wants to be the person that says, ah, sure, I'd be the jerk and do it. No, no very few people have stepped up and done it. I'll give <laughs> as much as I give them a hard time sometimes. I give props to Drew Gibson because he is kind of that guy. He's, he has been pretty good about calling time violations over the last couple months, um, whether it was with Gannon Burr or Nico. Like, I, I give props to Drew Gibson for that, hands down. Yeah, well, and, for sure. And, and, I mean, and somebody, somebody, somebody has, has to call it. And, it, and uh, you know, if, it, if that's Drew, if, that, if you want to be that guy, Drew, uh, you have my support. Yeah, and I don't, I don't care who it is. It, it needs to, you're right, it needs to be called. It, and let's, we can set him, uh, specifically Nico aside, for a moment. Just think of when that per, any slow person or someone that's uh, habitually breaking the rule, let's say they're on the third card. Now, in this case, they're on the final card of the day, presumably, so they're not necessarily slowing down other people. But when they're on the third card, and there's a whole card or or an entire empty hole or two empty holes in front of them, mm -hmm. and the third card is the is the place where the habitually slow person is, they're backing up everybody else on the first and second card on top of breaking the actual rule. Like, there is something to be said in, in Disc Blaster... Uh, you know, wants to bring up a point about just overall slow play within the course or backups on the course. Unfortunately, I feel like, and I understand that argument that, well, who cares if someone's slow because they're waiting on the next hole anyway. That's you're, you're circumventing the intent of the rule. The rules don't say, Hey, here are our rules. Well, in place, unless in, in, in play is slow, if play is already slow, then you can go ahead and take as long as you want to throw like that. That defeats the entire that sidesteps the entire issue. You're still breaking a rule at that point. And so if you want to argue about flow of play, I get it. That sucks for everybody, but I don't think one group or set of people should be penalized and have to deal with someone that is habitually breaking a rule. And it is kind of funny to me that 
if somebody's always breaking a rule in so many other ways, we're more inclined to call them. But why is why is time specifically? Why is that one so awkward for people to call? If somebody's clearly foot faulting every throw, if somebody's uh, doing lots of other things illegally, it's pretty easy easy to call. Why is the timing one? And is is it because you think it's subjective? And sure, we could argue. Oh, that that actually took thirty two seconds. Well, I had him at twenty eight. Okay, fine. When it's 45, 65, 95 seconds on a given throw, any given throw, that to me is pretty obvious. So I, I don't understand it. I've never understood it. Um, and, and I know there's always a lot of hate and, and specific things thrown at Nico, and that's not what I'm trying to make this about. He happens to be the most regular offender. I'm not picking on him. He just... I. I the world knows this though. And, and it's not personal in that sense. I say this of anyone step up and throw. Like I had a great conversation about this very situation a year or two ago. And Nate Doss very much enlightened me after one of our shows about a, a pace and how golf does it and what they anticipate for an, in a round and how it gets played and how warnings and how they do it in, in, I'll call it regular golf, how they do it there. It's very different than how we do it. There's not necessarily a shot clock on a specific, you know, hit or whatever in golf. To be fair, I think a lot of people would say the number one thing that they dislike about watching golf is how long it takes. But that's another story. Um, But they, they go about it very differently. It's not an individual on one given swing on one given stroke and all that. I get that. But our rules right now set up the way they are. And I feel like they're very easy to follow and to administer and why, why this is still a problem. This, this has been a a conversation piece as long as we've been broadcasting. Like I jokingly said earlier in the broadcast, at one point I put a 30 second clock on him live on, on one of our broadcasts. I wish I knew when it was, I would pull up the, the footage and just as a, as a joke, because back then we could get away with doing stuff, fun stuff like that. But it has been a, an issue for a long time and, Cody uh, on the board is, is saying, you know, and I've heard other people say this, so it's not just Cody, that it's not the other players' jobs to police him. Wrong. It is. And, and unfortunately. It literally <laughs> is. It I will just, find you the rule and read it, it to you in the world. It just, no, we, we don't need that. I mean, you can, but. I will. But, but it just like it's the other players' jobs to watch for foot faults. It's the other players' jobs to watch where someone is throwing. You know, it is your job to help look for a disc if it's lost it's part of the two minute rule like it's not a team sport but unfortunately we you know it, it's you, you need to kind of act like a team card uh for these things so it it is and i understand that some players want to just focus on their game and not have to think about other people's game but it's part of the game to do that you know it, it's that's all part of the game like it's 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 that's where we're at right now yeah and and i don't think it's a crazy part of the game either and under pdj rule eight twelve, you may disagree with the rule that's fine the rule is there the rule is still there i disagree that you should be able to go 75 when it says 70 or whatever i get it but under eight twelve, under courtesy a section or sorry section b it says a player must 
perform actions expected by the rules, including A, helping find a disc, a lost disc, B, moving equipment when asked, and C, keeping score properly. And then subsection point two is watch the other members of the group throw in order to ensure rules compliance and to help find discs. Like yeah, you it, are to watch other people play. That, I mean, there are people who dislike, dislike keeping score. Too bad. Here, it's your turn to keep the card. They, they, you can't. That, that player is not allowed to just drop the card and be like, "Sorry, guys, not my thing." I don't like knowing the scores, so I, I'm not going to do that. You, you don't have that option. It's just not right now. That is not a. a a uh, a valid excuse or response so it's and, and again some people don't mind it or not, I'll, I'll say this some pros don't mind that nego takes a lot of time sure just because they think that the longer he takes the less likely he is to hit it and whatever that's still uh, in, in still in a sense so still it's it's circumventing the rule in correct. the sense that like why should others be punished because somebody yeah. else doesn't want to play by the rules why should one person or any given person get four minutes to throw a disc when everybody else is expected to do it within a time frame yeah. you you might not be people hate people complain about backups that it like throws their flow off like oh god i was waiting here for like 15 minutes because the you know whatever somebody got uh, on hole 12 at northwood someone threw into the woods and it took them you know 12 throws to get back into the fairway and so it created this huge backup and i don't like having a backup because i i, I play better when i'm in the flow nico's wrecking that for everybody everybody on that card has to wait extra time for him to throw and it wrecks their flow as opposed to getting up and just keep going it it is something again I personally think, based on what happened this weekend with Jeff Spring warning him, that this is kind of a signal that maybe it's going to start to be taken more seriously. Whether that's, I, I, I don't think there's anything by the players that it's going to be, but maybe the Pro Tour will help with that and step up a little bit. And I don't think it's their job. I don't, it, it does help them. It helps us in the broadcast room. You wouldn't, obviously, if you watch post-production, they cut out as Terry has done in the past, you cut out a bunch of that Nico stuff. You, you only show the last five seconds of it. Most of the time we've done the same in live too, where we'll go to other throws just to fill the time, to fill the time between when we know Nico is going to throw. Cause we know we have 40 seconds to 50 seconds. We can get in two, maybe three other shots before we come to Nico and watch his throw. Or if he's happens to be making a run, we have another camera on him. We'll trim up all that stuff and only show you like what the post-production does. So, but it does, it, it is advantageous for everybody to, uh, to make this a much more cohesive environment and help out with the flow and the broadcast and this and that. So I'm hoping the pro tour is kind of looking at this and maybe this is kind of them. This is maybe Jeff dipping his toe into that water to see how it's going to go. And, and again, that's why we have silver series to test things out. We're going to test calling the rules out for once. Uh, again, so, I know a tale as old as time. That's how. That's the story. Yeah, there's a lot of time. <laughs> so, uh, and and somebody on the board, Carney, I think, is saying uh, that there's whether it's other other MPO or FPO players. Uh, as a guy who films, therefore, I literally have a running clock 
when I'm watching you play disc golf, often when obviously whenever I'm doing post production, I know exactly how long you take. I also know how you're wasting time. Are you are, are you putting your bag 27 feet away from your lie? And then you have to walk back and forth to your bag four times or your cart where you have to then go get a different disc or do whatever you're going to do. Let's start there. Put your equipment near you. I don't need you to sit on it or kneel on your bag. I don't need it to be on your back while you're trying to pick your disc. Put it near you. I find that to be one of the most frustrating things to see any level of disc golfer, MPO, FPO, or, or any level of disc golfer. I, do, I will never understand why some people will take their bag and they'll set it somewhere and then they'll walk 20 feet to where their lie is. If, if you've got your disc and you're not going to change it up ever, fine. But you know how many times I watch people walk back and forth and for the last time, for at least this week, I'm going to tell you, you're effing 30 seconds and your time when you have to throw includes you bushnelling. And I, I don't mean to use Bushnell's name in vain here. No, you're using it as a verb. <laughs> I know. You're Bushnell. Uh, you're range finding. For God's sakes, people. Use your range finder. From the other person's lie, maybe, because you're nine feet behind it, and then do some subtraction. And I get fired up about this because this is so simple. I understand when there's intricacies. I understand when you have a goofy line. I get special scenarios or special cases. But you know how many times I watch somebody that's got a 250 foot shot in front of them. The person that threw just before them is 10 feet behind that, but then they still have to get up when it's their turn to throw. And then they range find you could have done that. And you should have done that because now you just spent all your time doing that. Then you're putting it away nicely. Then you're making two trips back to your bag. And then you're finally grabbing your disc and throwing. I, I I hate that I jump on the soapbox. A big boy, I'm going to crush it one of these days. Like, seriously, manage your time. Just, it's not that tough. And this is, this is at every level of disc golf I've seen this. From your amateurs who maybe don't know better yet to our top-level professionals. That's it. Until next week, when you all tick me off again for doing the same thing. Ugh. Gosh, people, it's not tough. <laughs> All right. So that we, we MCO is covered. Everything is covered in that. Um, Next week, Tallahassee. Tallahassee. Another Silver Series. You can win some cool stuff. I did talk to the tournament director. They've got literally t- like tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff that can be won on aces and all sorts of other things they have going on. So I guarantee you our players are going to be treated well and... I'm guessing because I saw the course a few years ago and it's now trimmed to 18 for this event. I think it's going to be a pretty darn good operation that they have going on. So best of luck to everybody that's going to be in Tallahassee. However, a lot of players are skipping it. I was just going to say that just uh, because we have the major the week after that few hundred miles away and they want to prep for playing WR Jackson, which is no joke of course, so you're seeing a lot of players skip Tallahassee. Even, again, don't be shocked if some of the players that are registered don't necessarily show up and play. I, I Unfortunately for Tallahassee and their fans, this is this is continuing to be a growing, I don't want to say trend, but this is, yeah, it's very, it's, it's very real that 
as you're saying, a lot of people are skipping this upcoming weekend. And I, you know, to echo what you're saying, there's people that are on the reg list that we all but know are truly actually not even going to be still coming Mm -hmm. uh, to Tallahassee. And clearly it's no knock on the event because it's going to be phenomenal. It's really more about the timing. So best of luck to everyone. Question is who steps up, who takes advantage of that and says, well, okay, that's fine. Paul and Rick might not be here or Eagle might not be here, but I'm going to step up and uh, so, I mean, somebody's got to win. The question is who we rarely look ahead and think about that, but who, uh, Who's on that list there, Johnny? Let's open up the Tallahassee registration list. And you can see number one with a bullet, Matt Orem, 1044 rated. Uh, number two on our registration list, Gannon Burr, followed by Nicola Castro, Mason Ford, Cameron Cole Glazer, Double G. I want to, I go Double G. I want to, What's Thomas Gilbert's? What's a good nickname for Thomas Gilbert? Do he's we, got a couple of them. Does he? Um, I mean, uh, ever, a lot of people call him Waldo. Where's Waldo? Because he's heard, been popping up in footage. Everywhere. I, I've heard uh, T. Gilly. I, I T. think Gilly. I, I think our uh, I think Mo says that often. Uh, I confirmed with him this weekend he, with Tom as Gilbert. Uh, that he, <laughs> it sounds weird to call him Tom. I know it did. Um, <laughs> I confirmed with Thomas that uh, he he's he's okay with Tomcat as Tomcat. well. All right, I'll give him Tomcat. He, I said, where does that come from? And he says. I think he said that it might have even been Ian from Central Coast uh, okay. that, that gave him that because that doesn't sound like when maybe he had it earlier. I don't know how he doesn't have that one earlier in life as well. But either way, um, all right. I, I referenced him once as Tomcat this weekend, right. so I'll, I'll go with that. So we'll start again. Uh, double G, Tomcat, uh, Chandler Fry. Chandler Fry. I, I want to call him like... <laughs> Chanimal? Yeah. That's that, that, that's that, his. That, that's his. That's not what I want to call him. <laughs> okay, so you I, should I'm definitely. Thinking of, I'm, I'm thinking of like a McDonald's nickname. No, no, I'm, I'm thinking like a McDonald's because for some reason, like uh, who's the, the fry Gr- guy? <laughs> Gr- not grimace. No, uh, no, grimace is the oh, big the, purple guy. The, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, Chandler Fry, Colt Montgomery, Emerson Keith. So who could take this one down? I think the obvious answer right now is Matty O. Well, um, but mean, yeah, going on on a limb per, via ratings. Uh, I mean, it's it's his neck of the woods. You know, he's only, again, a couple hundred miles from where he grew up, probably between Mm -hmm. Alabama and Tallahassee. And he's the highest rated player. He he's been playing very well. So ultimately, you know, it's not hard to pick Matty O. The interesting part, as someone mentions, is uh, are we going to see Gannon Burr and Nico on the same card? (laughs) Is anyone going to run out of batteries that day? So uh I have to go with Matty O taking advantage of the silver series opportunity for him. Okay. Uh, and then FBO to, side talking about the open women's division. Um, you've got Sarah Hokum, Valerie Mondahano, Kona star Panis, Jay Weezy, Lisa Fakus, and Alexis Mondahano. Uh, Holly Finley as well. Holly Finley played pretty well this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, Terry is the course open i know it's a di- slightly different course yeah I, I i don't know exactly how they've configured the 18 holes but i'm gonna say it's definitely not open okay uh, so it's a, is not how i would describe it if we're leaning a little more wooded you, you kind of have to put sarah hokum in that category she plays very well on these uh these tighter courses if that's what this is um valerie mondahano has been having a great year so far so ultimately 
you know, we could, we could see that happen. Uh, Kona has been, you know, she hasn't really performed. I pick Ellen Widboom, not just because she was a guest tonight. <laughs> Ellen, I know you're watching. She, she is. She is for sure. Um, Ellen could have a great weekend and, and win. Of course. Cat Merch has been shooting really well this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria Oliva, for the most part, has played well. She did not play well this past weekend, but, mm. uh, but you know, everybody has their off weeks. I think, I think this is a Kona weekend. I know she's had some struggles, but I think this is the weekend that Kona is able to put it together. And, 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 you know, it's, you know, no, no shade on Kona, but we're not seeing the top three or four women at this event. So I think this is a good chance for Kona to kind of get her stuff together and and win. So I'm I'm going to pick Kona this weekend to okay. win. Okay, I like it. Well, uh, again, looking forward to it. In, in talking to uh, a number of players, I guess I'll, I'll say specifically. Um, You're gonna tell me Kona's not playing now. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, oh, good, uh, good no I, I was just thinking of a conversation uh, with the Macbeths from this last weekend about just the madness that is Masters Week and knowing that Augusta is 30 minutes from Appling and from where the major is taking place next week everything's just obviously pure madness and pandemonium around sure. the Augusta area so it's interesting that you have players maybe just either taking a weekend off and completely unwinding or relaxing or maybe playing a few practice rounds or or almost doing nothing in their respective areas. I know I saw Brody Smith and a couple other people that had headed up to Appling. And of course there's going to be players that are already there and they can do their best to stay away from anything masters related just in terms of separation, but just the whole world, the whole sports world is taking over Augusta Georgia, right now. Yeah. Augusta, yeah. And Apple. so, you know, I, I just think about if let's put it this way. None of our players are probably in Augusta or the Appling area and have booked themselves hotel rooms or found a way to get an Airbnb just simply because they're not available. Uh, we might have a few people camping and maybe there's a few uh, hotels at a great length away. But right now, the entire world is in Augusta uh, and completely takes over that town. So I think it's it's just it's just this thing that we have to wait essentially until Sunday or Sunday night or Monday morning or whatever. And then we'll see more of our pros pros roll into Appling due to the proximity. And I know a few of them are actually, uh, Drew had made a comment how he's going to uh, final day of the Masters. Yeah, I mean, so we if, might, you're, we might, if you're at that level, yeah, that's a whole other story. I mean, if, if, yeah, rolling like that. So, so that's awesome. Uh, real quick uh, to go back to throw it on the mountain, just for a brief moment. On the feature card, one of two feature cards, let me be clear on that, for the opening day, opening round, none other than David Wiggins. And How is Wiggins? Oh, my gosh. Uh, of course, he's great. He's he's always been a very stand-up human and individual, so polite, kind, gracious, uh, awesome to talk to. Another member but, of our armed, armed forces, right? Um, he was in the Navy? No, he... Um, he studied 
ship stuff, Navy He's, stuff. I don't know if that was because he was... Did, did he actually I, serve? I th- now I feel silly that I don't know for sure. That sounds right, but I don't. I, I, th- I know I he's he's he, he's created a business around ships, but I don't know okay. if it's from actually serving in the navy. Okay, I, I thought he I thought he had, but I, I know would make sense. Totally though. could be wrong there. Yeah, uh, uh, I feel silly that I don't. know. Maybe that that's for, where I'm conf- uh, confusing it. University. He went to school down in New Orleans. Yep. Um, and then he has started his own. Uh, surveying and works on and with ships and all sorts of other things. I don't know if he actually. And maybe he then, didn't. Maybe I'm maybe I'm confusing him with something just, else. But well, you might just be associating uh, his his navy life along uh, his marine life along his with marine being life in with the, the navy. navy life. Yes. Um, either way, I guess my main takeaway is crazy to think how much the world of course doesn't know him because he's been out of yeah. the scene for these last four five six years he's been focusing on his his college education and then also starting this new job and to think like he's won i think he said five five junior world championships mm-hmm. then an amateur world championships when he was rated like 10 10 or 10 20 at the time back in 2010 and then has had all these various world records and distance world records. And then you're filming him and I have all of this uh, history of, of seeing him competitively. And then to think, oh yeah, 90, 92% of my viewership has no idea who this, this fella is. No. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's, how did he perform? Um, Spoiler, he uh, he struggled a little bit during the first round. I think he came back and had a really good second round. Unfortunately, he was he was a few cards back. But as he told me, he's I'm, he's like, I'm just knocking off rust. You know, I of course I, you know, is, is his plan to get back into the. Sport yeah, he more? wants to continue to start playing more. And, you know, I saw him a few weeks ago. Also, when I kicked off my visit down south, I saw him playing in the pot of gold event. Uh, down there in Louisiana. And so he's played two events. The rest should be off. What's, the, yeah. what's his problem? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, he's playing a little bit more and more, but it's just, it's awesome to see him. Awesome uh, to have him out there. And it's going to be great as more people continue, hopefully to see and hear and learn more about him. And um, you want to take a guess at how old he is? Well, if he has, if he won, Ju- or I'm sorry, if he won Am Worlds in 2010, yeah, Am World, yep. Which you could be I, any age. He, you could be any age, but I, he had already had a handful of junior worlds. I'm going to guess he was probably 17 at the time, so it's been 10. I bet you he's 29. Yeah. 26. <laughs> Seriously? Yes. That's exactly the reaction everyone else on the card had. Yeah, he's 26. Gosh. And to think like... You know, obviously, so many disc I mean, golfers haven't even found the sport yet, and here he is at 26. Uh, not just decorated, the DG but, beat nailed it right away. He's like 26. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it may have been said in the coverage. You probably cheated. Oh. Well, I'm I just didn't kidding. cheat because you know I don't watch your coverage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> not funny, jerk. Uh, so anyway, uh, David Wiggins. I guess the point is, go out, Google him. I, I hate that I have to even say that, but go out, Google him. He's on some of the discs you might throw, you know, whether it was the Blizzard boss or or race or whatever else or some destroyers at one point. His name's on there for a reason. 
Uh, it's because he's a superstar uh, and quite the stud, but um, it was great to see him and catch up with him. It's, it also shows you a little bit of our It dates us a little because he's walking up dates us. He's walking up to 400 foot tunnel shots with low ceilings and throwing a KC rock. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this is crazy uh, to think about where disc technology has come, who's throwing what. And he's got an old or brand new old 11 time KC rock and just doesn't even think twice about throwing a rock 400 uh, feet trying, on a frozen. He's trying rock. to hock that for like 150 bucks somewhere. <laughs> and everyone's like, dude, those don't sell for like that anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was my long winded, uh, tangent there. David Wiggins, well worth the deep dive. As I know, a few of you have now had to go out and do, uh, to learn more about him, And you should pretty incredible, uh, individual. And it will be great to see him. Uh, I, I believe, I don't want to spoil it all, but I believe there's something in the works that kind of is bringing him back into the uh, spotlight in terms of a video production. So I think that's being worked on. And if so, you guys will then be in awe of what, what I'm talking about. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap things up on, on the regular show notes and uh, the regular show and the after show. You guys already know it. We talk a little trash. We uh, get on and off subject. So it's just like the regular show, except for we might swear once more. Uh, but we'll have a giveaway. We've got free stuff. I've got a literally a stack of things that need to get mailed out. Now that I'm back at my residence for at least more than a few days, even though I leave in a week. We do have some stuff. Patreon discs, I think, actually just arrived, which, of course, I forgot to bring over. But we do have some Patreon discs. The actual uh, annual Patreon discs have arrived. For 2021. Whatever year. Yeah, Yeah, last year's Patreon discs. They have arrived uh, to my house. That's a little bit of a a secret. But we'll get those signed, and we'll start to get those out uh, sometime here soon as well. So thank you to our Patreon subscribers that jump in at that level. So we're going to close it out. we got to thank Ellen Widboom, your FPO champion of throw down the mountain. I got to thank all our throw down the mountain peeps and staff and crew. You've been incredible. Uh, congrats to all the winners from this weekend, whether you're at an event that I covered at throw down the mountain or you were at music city open or any other event anywhere else in the world. Congrats. If you did well, heck, even if you got to get out and play, I hope you realize you're fortunate for Johnny V and myself, Terry Miller, the disc golf guy. That's been Smashbox TV podcast, three ninety seven. Stick around. We're going to have giveaways and other fun stuff in the after show. We'll see you then. You step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash Smashbox TV. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.